funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. movies at all anything on your radar aside from killers of the flower moon uh no actually i um all the uh, festivals like got canceled like a couple weeks ago and they're all going to be online now again and so um I, I thought it would be fun for us to like um like watch some stuff from these festivals but sundance has come and gone and really nothing out of, out of there sounded interesting i don't know maybe we can do it for can but no absolutely nothing is on my radar i just finished uh, watching all my 2021 stuff. So yeah, what about you? Interesting. Uh, yeah, I've got a couple of things. Uh, that's that. Let's guys. This is our top ten episode. But we're going to talk about 2022 for a few minutes before we jump into it. Uh, but yeah, Jonathan, Jacob, let's do this. You know, who uh, it is. yeah, 2022. It's kind of weird that we're in January and I have the top two slots locked up. It would take an act of God to remove either one of these movies from my number one and number two. And I know that's bold to say Mm -hmm. since I haven't seen either of them. Right. Flowers of the killer moon is going to be a masterpiece. There is no way that movie is not going to succeed on every level. Right. And the Northman, which comes out in April, all red, like just seeing the trailer in the theater. The problem is I've gone to the theater a few times in the last month. And out of the few times I've gone, the seeing the Northman trailer was better than the movie I watched. (laughs) <laughs> so I'm so excited. Now I do have a little bit of a bias cause I am hardcore into Vikings, but um, I'm excited. Is that, uh, do you think the Northman's probably going to end up in your top 10? Cause I know we talked about the trailer. The Northman looks cool as fuck. I, I have a uh, confession to make, which is I've never seen a Robert Edgar's movie. Um, You've I, never even seen the witch before. No dude. I never, the witch, like it was on my radar obviously, but it was just one of those things that just slipped through the cracks. And now I'm like, what am I going to watch the witch in 2022? But like I, I should, and I probably, uh, well, not probably, I definitely will before the Northman comes out just so I can, I don't, you know, be caught well, up on things. What we might do, you know, this is a little peek behind the curtain, as you like to say, Doing up. if the Northman, if the Northman ends up playing at both places, we can go watch it when it comes out. We might just do our Eggers episode and talk about all three of his movies. Cause why the fuck not? I'd be fine with that, dude. It'd be, give me a good excuse. Because honestly, them. he's made, he's made two brilliant movies. I don't even think that's hyperbole him and Ari Aster. I know people are kind of tired of the whole a 24 thing, but it does not dismiss the fact that they are both phenomenal filmmakers and storytellers. So, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I'm, I'm looking forward to it, but I'm just like, I'm, I'm one of the, like I saw the trailer and I mean, dude, my, you know, I was all the way hard, but like, I just don't, well, let's, let's, that's not, <laughs> no, no, you said you'd let me say it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, the trailer looks amazing, but I also like, don't know what level of quality we're talking about here. Are we talking about like, is this going to be a movie that, I guess, like, is this going to be Uncut Gems or is this going to be, like, um, I don't know. Like, You know what I'm saying? I don't know if this is just going to be, like, whoa, that was sick or if it's going to be, like, that was sick and I'm going to, like, this makes me want to run through a wall, you know? I don't know. Well, I, I like I said, I'm a little biased because of my pre-existing love for the for, for that time of history and whatnot. But um, 
I've watched pretty much everything about Vikings that has came out either via TV or movies over the last 10 or 15 years. And um, I'm trusting the fact that he is already like a gold standard storyteller. And it took him like eight months to scout this film. His costumes look amazing and he has put together an epic cast. So if you, if you had seen his first two movies, I feel like you would have a little more faith in the fact that it's going to be closer to like uncut gems. If that's the, um, mm-hmm. if that's the, you know, now a comparison you want to make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating it. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I mean, killers of the flower moon is, I mean, number one, most anticipated with the bullet for me. I mean, and I, and the primary reason for that is like, you know, I feel like, I feel like before the Irishman, like there was a little bit of uncertainty around Scorsese, not, not uncertainty about his genius or his, you know, but like there was an uncertainty of whether he was um, entering a twilight period where he was just going to make these kind of like, you know, smaller, like personal movies that aren't as big and epic and entertaining as his, um, most famous movies like Goodfellas, you know, and the Irishman completely washed that away. Like, you know, like it was like, no, 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 this guy is still, he's still a lion. Right. Like, and I, I think Clint Eastwood, it's, it's a similar thing with like Richard Jewell, you know what I mean? Where it's like, okay, well, is he just doing kind of like his own thing? And it's like, no, Richard Jewell comes out. It's like, no, he's still operating at peak powers. And so I think the fact that, that now we know that he's operating at peak powers that he's capable of something like the Irishman at his age and this many years into making movies. It's like, dude, killers of the flower moon could be like, there's no ceiling, right? Like they're like, I really mean that too. Like there's no fucking ceiling on how good this is going to be. And that is, that is a really, really exciting prospect, you know? I agree with everything. Yeah. I mean, and that's not just me being biased because he's my favorite working director. It's me just like looking at what's on the paper, looking at the masterpiece he made with the Irishman. I mm. mean, it's yeah, it's going to be epic. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's like Cram Macho is one of my favorite movies, but I like of this past year, but like, it's a minor Eastwood movie. Like I will admit that, you know what I mean? But like, like Scorsese is coming off of a major, major work. And like, Oof, man, I don't know. I'm pumped. I could not be more excited. But, you know, by the way, when is it coming out? I'm assuming just like a war um, season at the end of the year. Yeah, it, it wrapped in October of last year. So, you know, it typically takes I don't know if okay. he's working with uh, Thelma uh, on this one. I'm assuming he is typically takes them like six months to edit and all that. I, I would imagine we'll see a trailer uh, by March or April. And then, yeah, it'll come out award season. Ooh, buddy. OK. All right. So I've got I've got uh I've got two more to mention real quick before we get to our top ten. One is you may not know what this is, but when I tell you what it is, if you're not immediately excited, I don't know what to tell you after that. Okay. It is called the unbearable weight of massive talent. Have you heard of this? Uh, what is it? My life story. <laughs> well done. Um, <laughs> this this has been on uh my radar for the last year it comes out in april it is a movie where nick cage plays nick cage in a movie centered on nick cage wow okay so this is going to be the peak nick cage and it 
It is. It really is. It's basically going to be like a, like I, I've read it described as like a hyperbolic take on his real life struggles with stardom and all that. Okay. In, so instantly. I cannot wait. Yeah. Uh, this is wait, you know, but directing it, do you know? Uh, yeah, I don't have it in front of me, but I did know who it was. I'll okay. look it up. Um, so but, it sounds um, like a Charlie Kaufman kind of thing almost. Yeah. I, 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 that's, that's what I thought at first, but I'm glad they're not, they're not taking it like that. Uh, it looks like it's being directed by Tom Gormankin. Okay. Don't know who that is, but all right. Well, you know, now that I've seen this, I don't know. I mean, I have, I always have faith in, in Nick Cage, but, um, he's mostly produced TV and he wrote a series that actually wasn't too bad, but it got canceled. So I don't know. We'll see. Who knows? We'll see. Um, the other one, I, uh, but it is Nick Cage though. So it's like, you don't know which way it's going to go. It could be like pig or it could be like, uh, prisoners of the ghost land. Like you don't, you don't know, which I know a lot of people loved. I just wasn't impressed with his performance. Right. So you just don't know what what you're going to get. But I guess that's why I love him so much. I mean, Ooh. he's arguably he's probably my top three favorite people working because he's always doing something interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. Also, but the uh, other also one shout out, uh, shout out Keith Phipps. I think his book comes out this year. Uh, yeah, I've been waiting for that book. I thought it was supposed to come out at the end of 2021. But yeah, shout out to Keith Phipps, former. Uh, guest on the podcast but yeah i'm i'm pre-ordering that as soon as it's available yeah 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 i think i think i saw it on his twitter feed it's coming out in a couple months or something um oh hell yeah i'll have to look it up and see if i can pre-order then anyways um the last one that i'm so excited for it could end up in my top three maybe even top five avatar 2 oh boy aren't we happy about this are you you doing a bit right now oh absolutely i'm so tired of hearing about these blue bastards all right well you know what, man? I, I thought it was going to be like all nice and positive vibes for this episode, <laughs> and then you got to do some shit like this. I'm, I'm, I mean, you know, I'm unironically excited. The listeners already know how I feel about Avatar. Um, James Cameron is going to save movie theaters. Uh, you know, um, yeah. Uh, not that I want to give anybody credit here because I don't really care for either parties, but Marvel's already saved movie theaters. Nobody needs James Cameron's old ass making movies about blue people. Damn, man. I don't know why you had to do this. You know, I thought this was going to be a fun celebration of the year in film. And you look what you've done, you know. So so let's get to that fun stuff. I I could not ignore the fact that Avatar 2 is popping up on a lot of people's most anticipated list. When we all know, I would bet you all the money I have in my possession, this movie is going to get pushed. Like oh, it is yeah, a yeah. fucking fact. Now, that's something we could both agree on. We will not <laughs> see this movie until 2025 at the earliest. It's like, Jesus, man, whatever, Cameron. Um, so uh, let's do it. Let's talk about our top 10 of 2021. Um, Before. Yeah, we, I'm excited about this. I am too. Before we get into it, though, I want to run through a few. These are not um, these are not honorable mentions per se, but these are movies that got a lot of. Uh, a lot of run, so to speak, by people talking about them. And so I just kind of want to do uh, r- just a real quick hit thing. And you just tell me. Um, they're honorable mentions. I'm sorry. I don't know why you're beating around the bush here. No, they're you not. Just don't want to, you don't want to admit they're honorable mentions because you have cursed me in the past 
for doing honorable mentions. That's all it is, folks. No, they're actually not because some of these movies I actively don't like. But um, you know, they are they are <laughs> they are getting some burn around you know different lists and different awards and all this other shit. So some of these movies I fucking hate, but let's talk about. It. <laughs> well, I just want to. This is just a quick hit thing. Uh, we've briefly talked about Annette. Have you seen Annette yet? Didn't get to watch it. Okay. I, I've said I've said my piece on Annette. It's a major work of art, but boy, oh boy, the the fucking uh, rock opera thing. Not for me. I just can't get into it. But but boy, Leo's Carax is a he's crazy for this one. I'll say that Adam Driver is incredible. Um, what about Licorice Pizza? I know you didn't get a chance to see Licorice Pizza, right? God, yeah, I want to see it so bad. There's a good chance it would have been on my top ten just because I love coming of age stories, but also one set in the seventies. I mean, that's fucking awesome, but yeah, it hasn't even played here and I can't stream it. Yeah. I mean, I liked it, you know, I saw it in, in, in 70 millimeter, uh, which was, uh, which was incredible, you know, just seeing it on film. Uh, but you know, it, it's just, uh, it's really PTA on his laid back shit. Like he is just kind of chilling and this is one for him. Definitely. Um, and it didn't, how was Hoffman's kid in it? Oh, he's great. He's great. Uh, you know there are great things about it. i really don't have a bad thing to say about it it's just like yeah you know pta this is kind of you know like this is how you grew up okay cool like i'm i'm happy for you you got all that on film buddy you know like (laughs) like it's a big achievement and you did it you know uh but it doesn't really resonate with me as a non-californian you know um summer of soul did you ever get around to watching that no, it was on my list, and then I just read some mixed reviews, and you had a mixed review about it, so I was just like, you know what, I'm, I'll, I'll watch it at some point, but I had too much shit to watch. Yeah, I mean, I, want, I just wanted to mention that alongside uh, alongside Velvet Underground, you know, I, I kept hearing that Velvet Underground was going to be like, you know, Todd Haynes does a music documentary, but different, and then, honestly, it wasn't different enough. These are These are both standard music documentaries to me. You know what? resolution for 2022 or the next decade or something let's do music documentaries but different right get back i haven't seen get back but i like the direction of it right like let's just get back is amazing it's 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 amazing you don't even have to be a beatles fan to enjoy it It almost made my top 10 It, it it was wonderful see let's see that right like let's see let's just see an hour of classic footage of the velvet underground playing or whatever like i'm sick of like the talking heads that are like you don't understand. There was before Velvet Underground and after Velvet Underground. It's like, okay, like, why am I watching a movie telling me how something important this thing is? It's fucking boring. Um, anyways, uh, Bergman Island. Did you ever get around to seeing that? No, I, I'm probably never going to watch that. Yeah, uh, not a great movie. We talked about Green Knight. I, I don't know if I brought it up on the podcast, but I mentioned it on Twitter. Uh, Zola. You talk about fucking A24 disease. Um, this is the A24 parody movie to end all A24 movies. Do not watch. I forgot what streaming service it is, but every time I went to watch a show, my wife and I were watching a show on it. It may be Showtime. I don't know. They would force me to watch a trailer for Zola. So like the movie already sounded like shit, but then being forced to watch the trailer 10 times really just made me develop a hatred for it, even though I've never seen it. Yeah, it's uh, it's peak A24 and not in a good way. Um, 
Uh, Dune. I've already said my piece on Dune. Love it. Love Dune. Uh, came close. Yeah, Dune was really fun. Came close to making my top ten. And this is one that we haven't mentioned on the podcast. Um, Shiva Baby. You know about this movie? Uh, I I saw a trailer for it, and then you told me you watched it and, and had some mixed reviews on it, so it kind of fell off my radar. I think this is a good movie, but it's very kind of stage-bound. I think it might work better as a play, but I mean, you know, what am I saying? I'm not going to go watch a fucking play, so... So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a good movie, and it's a really good lead performance, but it's also like, here's 80 minutes of this young woman going through hell, you know? It's uh, it's kind of a tough watch, but it's really good, and I really like the uh, lead performance in it. And the last one I'll mention, uh, because I don't think you watched it yet, because I told you it just fell off my top 10 list, is uh, Benedetta, which uh, we should probably talk about after you watch it, but... Paul Verhoeven, Lesbian Nuns. Uh, it's a really good movie. And honestly, if this had not been such a good fucking year for movies, this would have made my list. Uh, and I'm I'm frankly surprised it didn't, but there was just too much other uh, good shit out there. So, so I wanted to shout out Benedetta. Um, and I'm interested to see what you have to say about it after you, after you watch it. But anyways. I'm, yes, it's definitely on my list. I'm going to watch it soon. Anyways, I just wanted to shout those out. I have a couple of things as well. Uh, I want to give a huge shout out to No Sudden Move. That movie deserved more credit than it got. Son of a it bitch. Was, I forgot to watch it. It was fantastic. Narrowly missed my top 10. The- Soderbergh, it's excellent. Great cast. Just a top-notch movie. That guy is incapable of missing. Dude, I have not seen the last three Steven Soderbergh movies and like, I don't know why I love him. Like, it's like, he just keeps cranking them out and I keep forgetting to watch him. Even the shit he made for Netflix, like the basketball when he shot in that really weird way on an iPhone, I think. Yeah. Even that's a solid movie. Yeah. I did like, see that just, one. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't know how to make a bad movie. He, honestly. He doesn't miss. Yeah. Yeah. I want to give a shout out to the Tinder bar. Uh, that movie's getting some shade thrown at it for for a recycled story and blah, blah, blah. I don't know anything about the guy that wrote it. It was his memoirs. He went to yell. I don't give a shit. I just know Clooney directed it, and Ben Affleck gave one of my favorite Affleck performances I've ever seen. So Wait, Clooney directed this. Affleck is in it. I've never heard of it other than you mentioned it once. Um... Yeah, William Monaghan wrote the script. He adapted it, I should say. And uh, Ty Sheridan, I believe, is the lead as the as the boy coming of age. Okay. Uh, and it, and it got a lot of hate thrown at it because it was kind of a recycled story. But it's like you can if you're going to choose to make a movie about a memoir, you can only do so much different with it. It is a fucking memoir. Okay. So okay, I don't think Clooney should get punished because he followed an adapted script. He did what he could with it. I didn't make my top 10 and it probably wasn't going to, but I thought Affleck was great. It's on Amazon prime. People need to watch it. Interesting. Okay. All right. I'll it be- won't surprise me if he gets a nominee for uh best supporting. Okay. Interesting. All right. I'll have to watch it. And, um, the last one is, uh, Titane. Uh, wow. It didn't make your list. It didn't make my top 10. That's why I wanted to mention it real quick. Okay. This doesn't have to be a whole thing. Um, but I have a massive problem with this movie. Really? Massive. And I'm not even joking. I was actually kind of livid when I finished it. Really? Um, because I, just to let you behind the curtain a little bit, I uh, we were texting 
dirt while you were watching it or like you were in the process of watching it or something and you were telling me how good it was so what was yeah. what was it that something at the end dude first of all the opening scene is pure cinema magic everything about the first 10 minutes mm-hmm. the first 10 minutes of this movie especially after we get past no spoiler alert whatever the car wreck when you you just get this follow shot of right. of walking through this fast and the furious like car place with women dancing and then it breaks right into her dance routine right and it is beautifully directed the first 40 minutes of this movie 45 minutes of this movie absolutely captivating just it, it I was like, this movie's not just making my top 10. It's probably making my top five. Wow. Then the bottom falls out. It's like he pushed together two scripts that should not have gone together. It feels, it felt completely disjointed. And, and the last half of this movie, it was just, it was weak, man. I, I, I was really disappointed to the point to where, like I said, I was kind of mad because I had read so many great things about this. It's been on my radar for so long. And, um, to feel so disjointed really bothered me. Um, so you're talking about basically when she goes to live with the guy. Yeah. Essentially the guys, the movie is split in two. You have her running around. Um, I'm not going to give any spoilers for those of you that haven't seen it, but she's running around doing shit and, and she's struggling. And there's ob- obviously there's some really interesting questions asked in this movie about identity and trauma. Um, and then the movie just shifts gears and she ends up posing as a man's missing son. And there's some weird stuff with firemen and I'm sorry. Like this movie tried so hard and I don't mean that in a mean way. It wasn't try hard. It tried so hard to be really eccentric and it was working, but then it just kind of falls into more of a traditional story and then it goes back to being weird to wrap things up. And he, I didn't feel like he was fully committed to the weirdness that he had created from the jump. Um, first of all, she. Uh, oh, sorry, she. Excuse me. Uh, the director is uh, a woman. The first woman, I believe, to win the Palm Door, uh, which is interesting. Uh, I couldn't disagree more. I I thought this movie was incredible. And that jump midway through, I mean, I agree with you. It does turn the movie into something else. Uh, But the thing that it turns it into was, um, I thought it was fascinating. I I, like, I really, I really thought it was um, because there's a real, it's like the movie starts as like this crazy genre mashup, like balls to the wall. And then it turns into this kind of like, character chamber piece at the end or not the end maybe the second half that i i found that was really effective i'm uh wow okay all right interesting okay yeah i just didn't if you're going to open the box if you're going to open pandora's box then you need to follow through with it and she didn't uh now i have never seen raw i've heard that one's also really kind of out there i'm not gonna watch it because the trailer was just fucking Dude, these French pe- man, these motherfuckers make some gross ass shit. Um, my my wife, who is a huge horror fan, has forced me to watch certain French horror films, and they are they leave uh, imprints on my brain. So yeah, Raw is Raw is really good, but it's not it's not it's not one of those extreme ones. Um, I, I know the kind of French 
the French New Extreme, I believe is what people call it. Um, it it's not that far out there, but I, I think Raw is really good, and I think Titan is a, is a huge step up. I, I was really impressed with it. I, I feel the same way about Titan as I do Benedetta. Like, in, a, in any other year, both of those movies would have been in my top ten, but this was just a... This was just a, an incredible year for movies, I think. Um, so, Well, we clearly disagree about this movie. Um, yeah. But I mean, I was hooked for 40 minutes. I was all in. I was like, this is it. This is the weird shit. But also, I, I have to say, I mean, a, a, abs- like, a fearless, a, and, I, and, and we don't throw that word around in this podcast very often fearless performance from Agatha Roussel. Mm, Absolutely mind-blowing. And if the Academy has any any form of of whatever words you want to use because I think the I think the Academy Awards are are fucking shit, but she would get a she will get a nomination. She's not going to, but she deserves one. I mean the Oscars are bullshit, but it this is one of those things where it would like, man, it would be really great if they nominated her and like, you know, just got the movie more out there and you know her able to like attend the awards and like that she would be cool if they did something like that and so therefore you know that it won't happen <laughs> absolutely uh, um well, wow. let, let's jump into our top 10 okay um so i'll start because i want to be able to say this okay uh guys jacob uh Wanted to make sure that we each watched everything on each other's list so we could talk about it. Now, I am not a fan of this, as you might remember from last year. I I wanted to keep things a surprise, and we did, and you chastised me for it constantly. (laughs) But this year, we did. This year, we gave it. But I was was putting my list together, uh, like putting it in order, because I never told you my order. And uh, something happened, and in a way, I kind of feel bad, but in a way, it actually made me laugh. A movie a fell, this is a movie that a I movie, seen. A movie fell off my list, but I have a reason for this. The movie that fell off my list is The Harder They Fall. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a fantastic Western. Say people, you know, it's on my list because Westerns are arguably my, 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 my favorite um, genre. And I thought uh, the director did a great job. It's, he, he took a lot from Django, put his own spin on it. Really well done Western, great cast, thoroughly enjoyed it. But it was kind of teetering on the bottom. And there was another movie that I wanted to put in my top 10, but we had discussed it. And it looked like it was a 2020 movie. But in actuality, it didn't come out in the States until 2021. So I I changed it out. And I wasn't going to do that. But then you did that with a movie on your list. So I felt compelled to do the same. Okay. So the movie that you have not seen... That is number 10 on my list. It's called The Killing of Two Lovers. You son of a bitch. Um, now, also... I'll tell you this. I, I, I'm madder about, uh, about not having seen this uh, as opposed to um, having to watch an extra movie, The Harder They Fall. Because I, I generally liked Harder They Fall, too. I don't think I liked it as, as much as you did, but... Uh, well, I'm just a fan of Westerns and I do feel bad that that that, that was an extra movie because we've both done a lot of watching over the last couple of weeks. Um, so I did I, I did um, have to debate about this, but I, I um, that the killing of two lovers. It's fantastic. I mean, it's a very basic story. It's very gritty. It's very indie. But I'm also kind of glad you didn't 
watch it because I feel like I made you watch some pretty dark stuff on my list. And this movie is about as bleak as they come. Oh, Jesus. So uh, th- this movie is um, it's next level dark, but it's not so dark that it doesn't feel human. It's definitely a realistic story um, that's told about just people that are struggling in love. And uh, it's a heartbreaking story. It's pretty dark, but uh, I thought it was fantastic. I believe it's streaming on Showtime for anybody that wants to watch it. Nope, uh, but it Hulu. is. I thought it was on Hulu, like an add-on. I didn't think it was Hulu, like it's streaming on there for free. Oh, well. All right. <laughs> Either way, it's on Hulu. One, it's on Hulu one way or the other. I have Showtime on Hulu, so it's hard for me to tell if it's streaming on Hulu or Showtime. Oh, okay. Um, but either way, fantastic performance. I have heard Clayne Crawford is a hard man to work with, but he gave a fantastic performance in this movie. He stole the show. He's not going to get nominated. I don't even know how the direct how, how the award season would would treat a movie like this. But uh, either way. Go watch it, guys, but don't watch it if you're not in a good place in your head because it's uh, it, just the opening alone will make you question some things. Well, this is um, – I'm about to say the exact reason why I didn't want this to happen uh, because literally my only response is like, cool, I'll check it out. Uh, <laughs> and I thought both of us saying that in response to each other movies – this sounds crazy, I know, but – uh, I don't think that would be good podcast listening, but, uh, you know what? Just, just pipe down. We're one, we're one and one because there's a movie on your list. I couldn't watch, or there's two on your list. I couldn't watch because they're not available. All right. Whatever you, man, between that and the avatar comment, you really started this thing off on a downer. You know what? Whatever. You know what? I take back my avatar comment and I do apologize to you in front of the listeners that I made this last minute call, but a great man once said, be true to thine self. So Okay, so my number 10, uh, <laughs> <laughs> my number 10, and I want to talk a little bit about this director here. Oh, shit, he was born on my birthday. Damn, that's crazy. Um, uh, Ryosuke Hamaguchi uh, is this guy's name. He is a Japanese uh, film director. He had um, a couple of successes uh, early in his career. Actually, he's made a lot of different stuff for TV and documentary, but I think his primary uh, reason that people know him is Asako 1 and 2. Happy Hour also, I think, was made for Japanese television. Uh, Movies that really didn't break through, but kind of um, had some some showings in like art house circles and stuff. But this year he released two movies, uh, one of which is getting an insane uh, amount of praise. Uh, drive my car which is actually higher on my list Uh, and so uh, but you haven't seen that yet because it's unavailable so um, we'll probably just skate right by that Um, but this movie was so good i i i I was not going to watch drive my car because it's three hours long and doesn't look interesting but this movie was so good that it made me rethink that that idea so yeah well let's let's talk about because i mean i you know this movie was really uh, this is a movie that that like I, I kept at number 10 and then I like watched Benedetta and I was like, I'm sorry. I don't think Benedetta is as good as this. And I watched Titan and loved it. But I was like, I can't put it above this movie because I just, I thought it was really, really incredible. What, what did you like about it? You, you told me, you talked to me a little bit off pot about the, the style, his style that is so interesting. I mean, as, as like 
we'll discuss when we get higher on my list. You already know clearly because you've watched the movies, but I am a fan of of long set pieces, letting the actors do what they want, let the camera linger. I'm a fan of like single location, almost play type movies. And there's a couple of things he does in this movie because it's an anthology. So there's three different stories mm. that are unrelated. And I love two out of three. I thought the final one was kind of, it kind of missed the mark, but we disagree on that. But I mean, it's fine. It's a great movie regardless. There's a great opening scene with these two girls talking in a car and the camera is literally just sitting in the front seat, letting them go back and forth. And it feels very humanistic and it feels just very natural. Um, and then he follows that up with another great scene that, that literally takes basically the rest of the, of that story, uh, in this guy's office. Right. And, and then the next one's the same thing. We, we, we move from a professor's office to an apartment back to the office. And then we close on a subway. He just lets, he knows what to do. He does a lot with a little. And he knows what to do with the camera. And I'm really impressed by his style. Uh, yeah, it's kind of, yeah. you know, when you think about, you know, art house movies and the kind of movies that are popular, you know, in art houses and, you know, foreign movies and stuff. I mean, like it or not, it's that's the kind of genre separation we deal with, you know, in, in the film industry. But like I always I always associate kind of art house movies with being kind of visually more important than they are narratively. And I guess what I mean by that is you don't have a lot of these kind of somber art house movies that have a lot of dialogue. Like Memoria is higher on my list. And um, I saw the movie with a lot of dialogue, right? It, it's, it's, it's a lot of static shots and, and things like that. But, um, but this is a movie where there's a lot of dialogue. I've even heard some complaints that there's too much dialogue in his movies but I think that is, I, I don't agree with that criticism, but it's, its he just sets the camera down and, and lets these characters go. It's very Hawksian. Uh, it's very uh, Renoir, you know. Ozu, too, is obviously another um, example. It's, um, it's a really, really interesting and completely different way uh, of making movies. He's really kind of a fascinating director. And Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy is almost... Um, because I'll just go ahead and spoil it just so we don't have to spend too much time on it. And it's the same fucking director. Drive My Car is my number six uh, movie of this year. And Drive My Car is definitely more epic and more, uh, um, I don't even really know how to say it, more ambitious. And Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy is much more playful and much more simple, but none, none, not any less effective, right? Like it is... Um, I don't know. I'm glad you liked it. I, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about Drive My Car because there's a big theatrical element to Drive My Car, which I think you'll find really interesting. It's, um, you know, he, he's a very, very compelling director who is bursting onto the scene, and I hope he, I hope he gets the kind of attention that some of the other uh, foreign directors uh, who have burst on the scene lately have been. Like Bong Joon Ho, I can, I can see him, you know, uh, gaining a kind of following like that. Yeah, I don't know. Re really, really good movie and really interesting director. Yeah, I'm excited to watch Drive My Car. So maybe we'll discuss that on the podcast, you know, briefly whenever it comes out, just so we can we can kind of talk about his other movie. Sure. My number nine, we don't have to spend a lot of time on because it's farther up your list. So we'll discuss it then. But uh, there's pretty much never going to be a time when a Coen brother, either brothers or one 
uh, releases a movie that doesn't make my top 10. I'm not the biggest Shakespeare fan, but uh, The Tragedy of Macbeth was beautifully directed. They they weaponized the black and white in this movie. Mm, that's a good one. Denzel, well uh, Denzel and Francis McDormand, uh, fantastic performances. I mean, I think both of them should get nominated. I think that we, I think sometimes in the film world, and I'm including myself when I say this, we have a tendency to dismiss Shakespeare adaptations. Yes, yeah because oh it's shakespeare they don't have to do much and it's like well i'm not the biggest fan of shakespeare but if you think actors don't have to do much with shakespeare then you're clearly misinformed yeah um the subtlety that it takes to do to deliver some of these and the and the quiet intensity that it takes it's it was a beautiful movie absolutely beautiful i watched it i've watched it twice since it came out on apple tv because i wanted to to kind of figure out a way to understand it more because it's so much coming at you. It is literally an hour and 40 minutes of straight Shakespeare. Yeah. I mean, I mean, shit, we can go ahead and talk about it now, man. I mean, it it was my number five. Uh, It was my number five movie of the year. It, um, I I could not have been more impressed, you know, I mean, Shakespeare, you know, I, I I drink the Kool-Aid when it comes to Shakespeare. I think all the cliches that when people talk about Shakespeare, I think they're all true. And I think he is, he is, central to uh western civilization in a way that very few artists are you know like and and um there's obviously a higher barrier of entry to his work than you know than there is to just about any other work and it's it's like well yeah he was a genius like it's (laughs) you know it's uh and also we don't live in elizabethan england so so yeah i mean it it you know, there is, a, there is a higher barrier of entry, but I mean, some of this language is just so beautiful. And, and, you know, you talk about the actors, I mean, Shakespearean language is so difficult. And I like, I'm not an expert by any means, but I have seen a lot of different adaptations and read a lot about Shakespeare. And, you know, it's just a personal uh, hobby of mine, I guess, or an interest of mine. And, you know, the, the thing that's interesting about Shakespeare to me is like, every line is not meant to be heard in its entirety, if that makes sense. Like a a bunch of the dialogue in Shakespeare is throwaway. And I don't mean throwaway in the way that we mean it today, but I mean, it's like meant to be kind of said fast. And if you pick up on it on something, then that's like a little nugget for you. And if you don't pick up on it, that's fine. You still understand the way the plot is going, if that makes sense. But then there are lines and there are they're the lines that we mostly know to be or not to be, you know, things like that. There are lines that are meant to be emphasized and heard. And the way that Denzel and really all the actors, the rhythm with which they speak, right? It's like you'll have these like long stretches of da 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 dialogue, and then boom, these like punctuation marks where they slow down and emphatically deliver the lines that need to be delivered. It's really difficult. And it's really effective. And the alternative to that is just kind of like shouting every line and declaiming every line like it's a brilliant line, which is not the way to act Shakespeare, if that makes sense. Um, and it's, so it's really incredible. But I mean, I, and I haven't even mentioned the black and white cinematography, the camera work, the, you know, this is something. The amazing stage they filmed it on. A mind-blowing design. Fantastic architecture. It, it was stunning how they did this movie it's very theatrical but also 
not in the sense that it wouldn't like it wouldn't be possible to make a play this way you know what i mean like it is cinematic but it, the, the special effects are very uh simple and very uh analog if that makes sense like it's uh it, it's very easy to get cynical about something like this and be like oh okay apple tv you know blah 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 they're doing a fucking shakespeare you know artsy whatever but it's like you know the thing you forget is they're we've got a real last motherfucking director at the helm, right? This is Joel Cohen. You're right. Like this is, you know, this is the guy who's half halfway responsible for some of the most important films of the past 30 or yeah, 30 years now. And I mean, this movie goes fucking hard, man. It, it's just, God damn, it's good. Uh, you know, I don't know. I'll shut up because I could go on about this all day. I think I liked it a lot. Well, not a lot more, but I think I liked it a little more than you did, but it, God damn, what a movie, man. It, it was the last movie I watched. I literally watched it two nights ago, and it, it rocketed up past the other movies into my top five. It was, man, what an experience. Honestly, I feel lucky that something like this even exists, you know, that they just gave one of the Coen brothers a bunch of money to make his adaptation of Macbeth. It's, I don't know, fucking rules, man. It's bittersweet because, honestly, like, I don't know if they're ever going to work together again. Mm, but right. if if this is the product, like I'm curious to see what the other brother does. Like, so if this is the product um, that we can get from a singular perspective, then I mean it's a it's a little better. But I mean because th- this was Joel, um, so it's uh, I, I don't know. It, like I said, it's bittersweet. I mean the Cohen brothers are, you know, Joel and Ethan Cohen. Um, they're probably my second or third favorite people working today. I mean, they're, they, they have made some absolute masterpieces, like you said. So it is a little bittersweet watching this, but it's pretty impressive. He was able to do this on his own. So, hey, maybe we'll get double the output now, you know, they're, they're working separately. So who knows? But, uh, let's talk about your number nine. Cause, um, yeah, I didn't make my top 10 and I'm really curious to see, like, it wasn't bad, but I'm curious to see why you loved it so much. Yeah, number nine for me was Cry Macho, um, Eastwood. This is, you know, I mentioned it before. This is a very minor Eastwood film. And, you know, there there's some interesting things going on. There's some different, um, this is Clint at his most cruise control. Like, he literally doesn't even seem like he's alive throughout most of this movie. Um, and uh the the once again he has paired himself with a amateur actor um the kid in this movie is is uh they only gave him one take and it shows and you know then there's a really interesting performance by a uh spanish telenovela actress who's who's kind of very histrionic the boy's mother and um nick pinkerton mentioned this in his review of uh, of the movie in four columns and it's you know, it's interesting. You can either take this and be like, mm, amateur hour much, or, or, or you can take the movie as it exists. And as it exists, there's these, there's these differing clashing performance styles, which is really interesting. The cinematography is really fascinating because everything is fucking gray. And uh, I, I don't know, it, it looks like Sicario when he's like in a city, but then when he gets to this like Mexican town, everything just like brightens up and is, kind of the color of the sunset almost. And, um, you know, Eastwood is just kind of fucking around. He's playing with these animals and he's, you know, hanging out in this bar with this woman. And I mean, dude, just the end of it, just, 
I mean, it, it's pure Clint magic, man. It's like Bridges of Madison County for me is the quintessential Eastwood movie, you know, in the sense that it is, it, it is the closest to his heart, the closest to his style and the way that he makes movies, the way that he sees the world. And honestly, just the fact that we get to see another version of that um, and him dancing with that Mexican woman at the end, which I mean, no spoilers, but, and knowing how old Clint Eastwood is. And I don't know the, the fact that he's married uh, to a Hispanic woman who used to be an actress. I'm just like, this is, this is Clint's version of heaven. This is what he's showing us. You know, this is, and like, it's even a minor work is a major work. I, I, I don't know, man. I, I loved it. I, I'm, I'm actually kind of shocked that I didn't hear more good things about this movie from you. Um, what did you think about it? Because we never really talked about it. Yeah, you know, this came out back when we did our our big Eastwood Bonanza 100th mm-hmm. episode special. Molly so, Lambert. Uh, Shout out Molly yeah, Lambert. With, with Molly Lambert. Our 100th episode, if you guys want to listen to it. Uh so it kind of got lost in the shuffle because when we did that episode, neither one of you had seen it. So we couldn't really discuss it. Right. Uh, now I liked it. I thought Clint Eastwood was great. I, I always, I mean, he's a legend, you know, uh, I think people were a little too hard on him in this movie. Uh, I, I think it's, um, you know, they're not in the same boat clearly, but it made me think of like Raul Walsh because we did an episode on him a while back and we talked about how we he kind of lost some respect, so to speak, because he was so consistently good. Hmm. And people kind of dismissed it. I feel like with this, Eastwood has given us so many brilliant movies that this one was subtle. And I don't think it was brilliant, but like you said, it was like it was like low maintenance eastwood right and if this is what he can do in that frame of mind there's a reason why he can make mystic river um so i don't understand that the dislike for it now i i didn't love it um i'm i enjoyed it i've watched it twice i thought his performance was good it's mind-blowing that he's 91 and he can still do what he does my favorite part of the movie was just getting to see dwight yoakam on screen because i love dwight yoakam right so uh who who has aside from that, another crazy performing style in a way like yeah uh, so i got i got no problem with the movie i think if you get a chance to watch it for anybody listening you should watch it it just it wasn't really my top 10 kind of material sure and i uh you know i i and this is the you know i don't want to spend too much time on it because i can talk about eastwood all day long but like it's also like a lot of the criticism came down to um, a, a lot of criticism came down to the acting styles and to to that I- indicative of, of the fact that Eastwood works quickly and often uh, that he is kind of, um, uh, what's the word, careless about the movies that he's making. And I don't know, I, I think that misses the point. There, you know, there's a great story where someone talks about Eastwood and how they did the first take and then Eastwood was like, okay, cut, let's move on. And they were like, that's it? You're going to use the first take? And he was like, well, yeah, that's usually the best take. So, like, it's not laziness. He literally thinks the first take is usually the best take for what he wants to capture. And, like, if you're looking for this kind of bland, like, uh, you know, realistic, uh, you know, kind of thing, then, boy, do I have about a thousand movies you can watch. You know what I mean? But, like, that's that's not the type of movie this guy's interested in making you know, and 
if you don't like it or it doesn't vibe with you, that's fine. But like, don't criticize it as, as amateurish when like, no, this is, this guy's an established Hollywood veteran who's been making, doing this for decades now. It's like, this is the, this is the way that he chooses to make movies. This is the way that he chooses to, to uh, conduct his art. And it's, it's not fucking amateurish. I'm sick of that. I don't know. I'm just sick of that fucking, that fucking conversation about how, it's just like, oh, yeah, he's an old senile guy who just turns the camera on. And it's like, yeah, the movie studios just do that. They just let old senile guys make movies. That's how it works. You know, I, I just, that just pisses me off. This is a chosen method uh, by one of America's greatest filmic artists. And, it, you know, what? approach it for what it is. And don't try to dismiss it as just like some amateur bullshit because it's fucking not. Yeah, I second that clearly. So. Let's uh, let's move on to my number eight, which you had quite a time watching. Um, <laughs> my number eight is a movie that is getting next to no conversation, love or respect. Uh, it's called Mass. Mm-hmm. This movie is uh, this movie's fucked up. Not going to lie to you. Um, <laughs> it, it really taps in to a lot of things that I love because I, I, I love theater i love plays i i could i could watch i i would i wish i could watch more plays unfortunately because of the pandemic and whatnot there's not a lot going on but honestly what happens on the stage sometimes to me is more exciting than movies and this is essentially a play um it is two parents like two sets of parents and 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 basically what's a counseling session after a violent tragedy that disrupts uh to say you know, and, and lightly, uh, both of their lives. I don't want to really give anything away because I think the le- the the less you know going in, the better. Mm. Jason Isaacs gives a performance that is just—it's amazing. And Dowd, who is fantastic for anybody that's seen Hereditary or True Detective, you know that you guys know she she's she can bring it. It's fantastic, and and I don't think you looked this up. So I want to tell you, do you know who wrote and directed this movie? I don't. Fran Kranz. Do you know who Fran Kranz is? I don't. He, that a role that most people are going to remember, because I could tell you a few. He's an actor, predominantly. He's been in 74, uh, he has 74 credits. He was the stoner nerd in Cabin in the Woods. Oh, shit. He has been in The Village. He's been in Training Day. He was in The Dark Tower a few years ago. He's been in a lot of of movies and television shows, but he wrote and directed this. And I found it kind of insane that he just had this in him. Yeah, I mean, damn, shout out to him for finally getting behind the camera because, I mean, clearly, uh, you know, he's good at it. but this is a play. I, I and I don't mean to dismiss his directing because he knew you'll know what I'm saying because you you watch it obviously. He knew where to move the camera to get the best emotional jolt. Like there's some angles he takes and there's some zoom ins he takes whenever one of the parents are being emotional. Um, especially with Jason Isaacs when when he's on the verge of losing it about halfway through. Um, he did some special things with the camera, but as I've said before, as you've said, we talk about directors a lot on here. He knew 
to kind of let his foot off the pedal a bit. Mm. He didn't over-direct this, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the word stage-bound gets thrown around a lot, and I think it's people assume it's automatically a bad thing, and I don't, um, y- you know, I, I it's technique. You know what I mean? Just like anything else, it's technique. If you if you you know want to make your movie seem stage bound for whatever reason, you can do that, and maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. Right? Like it's you know it's a technique as opposed to like a a, a criticism, and I, I agree with that. I think this this movie is very uh, very play like, and it takes place in one room, and it is very much like a counseling session. In fact, the the climax of it is is the same type of climax that you would get if you were in a therapy session, like whether it was grief or counseling or you know whatever. And in that way, it, it mirror. It reminds me of that uh, t- TV show in treatment that used to be on HBO, where it would literally just be like a half hour in counseling session, you know, of of different. Oh yeah, people. Gabriel Byrne. That's a great show. Right, right, right. It reminded me of that in a way, and. Um, I thought it was really effective. Uh, my favorite performance was Martha Plimpton. Uh, I thought she was amazing, but I mean, all, all the performances were really great. And Dowd, dude, there is something about her that annoys the shit out of me. I don't know what it is. Um, I well, literally... to be fair, I think she's built a career on that because I know what you're talking about. I happen to like her though, but I know what you mean exactly. Like she's so good at it that I can't. It's like the kid. It's like the kid in, that's Joffrey in Game of Thrones. I'm never going to be able to see him as anything but Joffrey, and like that's how I feel about Anne Dowd. Like the the primary role I know her from is Leftovers, and she's so annoying in that show that I'm like. I can't see her as anything else, which is, I mean, honestly, a mark in her favor. But yeah, Jason Isaac is great. I think Martha Plimpton is is god dear. But Jesus, man, this is some heavy shit. Uh, this is like, I, just being completely honest, this is not why I watch movies. Like, 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 and I don't even mean that as like a criticism of the movie. I have nothing bad to say about the movie. But like, watching this, like, I could have gone my whole life and never seen this movie. Like, it's just. You know me, man. Like I'm all about vibes, and like the you vibe, can vibe out with this movie. The vibes are bad <laughs> in this one, and like I appreciate it. I really do. I thought it was. I thought it was great. It was really well done for what it was. But man, oh man, is it just the opposite of every reason that I love movies? Like I just, I think we were arguing about something, and your response was. You're going to watch it because you made me watch a fucking trauma counseling session. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which I mean, look, I'm, I mean, I'm glad I watched it. Right. Don't get me wrong. Like it, it, this definitely exposed me to something that I never would have seen before. I would have took one look at the synopsis and been like, Argh. but like, it's, uh, it's heavy and it, it's really good. And if, if it sounds, you know, like something that somebody would be into, I definitely encourage you to watch it. Cause it is well done. The acting is, is top notch, you know? I think that more than half of my list is comprised of like super dark dramas. Right. So um, this is the darkest yeah. one though. I will say that you haven't seen killing of two lovers, but oh, I'm, that's right. I'm inclined, that's right. I'm inclined to agree with you. I mean, it is, but killing of two lovers is, 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 is more something I feel like for anybody that's ever been in a relationship that was turbulent, it's more relatable. Clearly, you know, we'll hopefully never have to relate to anything that happens in mass. So, yeah. Um, yeah. That's yeah. You can keep it at a distance, you know, um, yeah. in that way. 
Uh, but yeah, I'm glad you didn't hate it. I wasn't sure what you were going to think about it. Um, no, I didn't hate it at all. I mean, it, you know, it's it's a rough watch, but no, I mean, it's it was well done. You know, it really was. Let's talk about your number eight, which was a very interesting experience for you. Yeah, number eight for me was Memoria, a Pitch It Pong, where Asa Thackles movie. I'm a big fan of his work. Um, Uncle Boon Me is probably his most famous work, but I mean, I've been watching his stuff since before Uncle Boon Me, actually. Syndromes in a Century, uh, Cemetery of Splendor, uh, Tropical Malady, um, Blissfully Yours. He's, he's really done some fucking great movies, and I, I mean... Great is an understatement. Boon Me to me is, I think, one of the great movies of the 21st century. And, and his vision of the world is so incredible. So Memoria came with high expectations. Uh, it's his first uh, English language movie. Uh, first movie not made in Thailand. It was made in, Jesus, where was it made in? Venezuela, I think. But yet it has Tilda Swinton. Uh, she plays uh, a character who has, um, have you seen the trailer for it? Do you know this? No, I don't know anything about it. I knew it had Tilda Swinton, but I don't know anything else about it. She basically has what's called exploding ear syndrome, which is something the director himself has suffered from in the past, and where she hears this very loud sound that nobody else can hear. It's really, and that's all I'll say. There, there's To say there's a twist is beside the point. It's not that there's a twist. It's just that this movie goes in directions, I will say, that you do not expect it to go in and you know this is a movie that the distributor has said they are never going to release on blu-ray or streaming they're going to theatrically release it at one one screen one showing at a time literally so at any given time this movie is only playing in the entire world on one screen so it's more like an art ex- a traveling art exhibit than it is a movie and you know what hey i I've seen mixed things. Uh, one thing said this is just a distributor gimmick, and one thing said that this was Joe. This was a pitch at pong where I saw Thackle's vision uh, for the movie, and I I don't know which one's true, but uh, it's an interesting way to to do that. And so I ended up scoring tickets at the IFC Center. Um, they sold out almost instantly, but I ended up getting a ticket, and it was um, it was an interesting experience. Um, you know, I think with a lot of like kind of heavy art house fare, there's a tendency to want to uh, the emperor is wearing no clothes situation. And I'm going to be honest, I felt that a couple times while watching this where I was like, this is kind of boring or like, I'm not sure you needed to let that shot linger for that long. Right. But there are a couple of moments and scenes and passages that are just uh, unspeakably beautiful. You know, it's it's basically you're following Tilda Swinton around this town, dealing with this problem, talking to various people. And I mean, talking about letting the scene develop. I mean, this motherfucker just sets the camera up and you just you just have to watch whatever he pointed the camera at. Right. And it could be the fucking trees for, you know, five minutes or something or maybe not five minutes. But um, and. Yeah, that's that's really all I can say. I mean, I I had a difficult time processing it, but it was certain parts of it were unbelievably beautiful and moving, and at other parts I'm like, Jesus Christ, man, can we are we literally watching grass grow? So yeah, I kind of didn't know what to do with this movie, so I stuck it here at my number eight. Um, yeah, I don't know if I had streaming access to this movie. This is the kind of movie 
that I would probably revisit and watch different parts of and read about, but you can't, it's one of those things you can't even really read about it because so few people have actually seen it. Right. Like it's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of an interesting phenomenon. Like I I'm talking to you about it and even the listeners, like, I don't know if you guys will ever see this thing. Like it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's a really strange thing. I don't know what else to say about it really. Well, that's really the the main intriguing thing about it because honestly, it doesn't sound like if this hit streaming, I don't even know if I'd watch it. Like it just doesn't sound very interesting to me. Really? But are you, a, are you, do you watch his other? Uh, have you seen any of his other stuff? Oh, I love Uncle Boon Me. Okay, but just this movie from how you're describing it. I mean, I'm not saying I wouldn't watch it, but I'm saying it wouldn't be like, oh man, I can't wait for this movie to come out. Sure, sure, I get it. Yeah, Uncle Boon. But I mean, ha- it's still a cool experience. I mean, Uncle Boon Me has some set pieces, right? Some set pieces where, like, you know, I think about when they go into the cave, and there, there's, a, there's a like a mystical aspect, and we see Boon Me, you know, crawling through the fucking jungle with his red eye. Like, there's nothing like that in this. This is just Tilda Swinton wondering. This may be his most kind of slow and experimental movie, and it's. Um, Again, I'm sure it would get pulled apart. I'm sure it would get analyzed and people would be talking about it, but it's just, it might as well be in the fucking ether, man. Like it's, you know what I mean? It's like, which is kind of part of the allure. I don't know. I felt felt even weird putting it on a top 10 list, but I thought it was such an experience. I've got to put it somewhere, you know? So, so yeah, that's, that's, that's my number eight. Yeah, no, it, it that that's just it's a it's re- just really weird in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a, it's a weird movie situation. Yeah. Um, uh, my number seven is another um, kind of slow burn, gut wrenching drama. It's called Wild Indian. Mm. You know, this movie is a very simple film with amateurish actors. I don't mean that as a derogatory way, but. There were no heavy hitters in this. I have no idea why Jesse Eisenberg popped up in this movie. Yeah, what um, the hell? <laughs> but essentially, um, you know, two two teens do something, um, or technically just one of them does something, and you kind of see the different trajectory that their lives take, and it's... Um, nothing is really ever like the roles are kind of reversed, which I found to be very interesting. The one on the surface that looks well put together and all that is the one that's actually fucking insane. And the one that has the face tats and went to prison is the one that has like human empathy Mm. and is like a real human being and not a fucking sociopathic robot. Right. There's obviously much more nuance to it than that, but something about this movie stuck with me. I can't get it out of my brain. Uh, it was just um, very subtle. I think that's the best word used to describe this. But what did you think of it? I mostly liked it. I just wanted more. You know what I mean? This is such a cliche thing to say, just coming from like the writing workshop world of like, when you don't know what to say, just say, I wanted more. But like, I really did. Like, I, like we, we get a lot of just kind of slow shots of just like the the protagonist just kind of staring off into the distance and and i you know i just kind of found myself just like i don't i don't know man can like can somebody talk or can you know you know can we like i don't know man it just it didn't feel very like it felt like a drama but with no 
drama, if that makes sense. Like it's it's categorized as a drama, but there was no real conflict. Like when the when the guys finally meet each other, the conflict is over almost instantly. Which obviously I won't say what happens, but like I just I, it's like I expected there to be like fireworks, and then it's just like oh well that's okay, and then he has to deal with the fallout of this, and okay, and then it, it just didn't feel like very much there you know i just wanted more meat on the bone i guess um more more conflict more drama i don't know there's just something something was missing there but i don't know yeah i agree with you i did want more but also i tend to i used to kind of not like movies that that left everything so Mm open-ended but over the last like five years or so i've really grown to find there's something about them to love and uh I love the open-ended nature and, and where it kind of leaves you. You know, this movie, I wasn't sure if it was going to make my top 10. And then the hospital scene really just did something when mm. he's talking to the mother. Right. But this is definitely something more along the lines of like my sensibility. Like there's something about this movie that appeals to me. Yeah, this is very, this is your very toxic masculinity which another another uh, examination. I hate that. I, I was gonna say I hate that 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 word is, has been so overused, but it's actually a pretty good shorthand to describe exactly what we're talking about. You know that kind of list. Yeah, because there's another one on here where toxic masculinity is so prevalent it is used in the synopsis. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is this is a movie that that like that, but. I mean, don't get me wrong. I didn't like it. This wasn't like one of those things. It wasn't a slog and it wasn't a, it wasn't uh, anything I didn't really enjoy, but I just was kind of like left with a little bit like, well, well then what happened? Or like, or, or, you know, like I just wanted more meat on the bones, more scenes, more dialogue, more, more just stuff in this movie. If that makes sense. I think that, you know, when it when when I when I recommend certain movies or if we do a list, like there are some movies I know where it's like, okay, you're gonna watch this and you're not gonna like it, and it has nothing to do with your taste. It has like in terms of like when people recommend people movies to watch and they don't like it, I don't know why that's like an offensive thing because it's it's no it's no shot to someone's taste. It's just a matter of sure sensibilities. If you know someone hates musicals and you're like, hey man, check this musical out, they're probably gonna fucking hate it. Um. So when it comes to movies like this and mass and, and another one on my list, I like they are obviously I love them, but I know that sometimes that's not always your thing because you've made it very clear. Like you're a vibes guy, like you want a movie that has good vibes. And some of these movies like is the opposite of a good vibe. Sure. Um, so it's just one of those things. I, I wasn't sure how you were going to feel about this, but I mean, you didn't hate it, so I'm surprised by that. Honestly, I figured you'd be like, "No, nah, this was not for me." So yeah, no, it, it, I mean, it, it it isn't my. It definitely wasn't my idea of a good time. Well, actually, I won't even say that. I don't even think the vibes of this movie are that bad, really. Once we get into like, it, I, I I think it's kind of like I, I don't mean I don't need good vibes in the sense of like you know sunshine and roses or whatever. Like, but but there are some evocative stuff like um, when he's with the stripper and and just like that kind of stoic face just like generally being sad about his life like i can get down with that like that's that's cool to me like i handsome men walking around being sad like i love that shit you know but yeah i don't know i guess i just wanted i just wanted some more drama i guess um yeah no yeah, I, that scene with the stripper was disturbing 
Yeah, it was, but it was disturbing in a fun, like, pervy way. You know what I mean? In, in a fun, like, uh, Cronenberg way or something. It was like something was happening. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, boy. Is he oh, gonna... something was happening. I was, like, I was <laughs> like, is he going to kill this stripper? Oh, my God. Like, you know what I mean? It was something to, like, perk up and, and watch, you know? Like, I don't know. I, I just don't want to make it sound like I'm, like, Marshmallow Man here, like, just enjoying. Oh, well, no. When I say thing. good vibes. Yeah, when I say good vibes, I don't even mean. It has to be like, like, cause, cause we both talked about the good, like the vibes in Sopranos and that's mm. clearly not like good, healthy vibes, but sure. it's all about like just being able to vibe with what you're watching, not sun, not in a sunshine way, but just in a, well, this is putting me in a dark headspace. So I'm not really into this. Yeah. 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 And that's how I felt about mass. I, I didn't feel that way about all about this movie actually. Um, it, I felt, I, and I thought it was going to turn into a fun genre movie and it just kind of didn't, but. Yeah, anyways. I can definitely see how you would be left wanting more. I understand that criticism 100%. Yeah, no, I didn't hate it at all. I didn't, no, it wasn't, um, yeah, nothing like that. Well, speaking of bad vibes, or speaking of good vibes, but bad situations, uh, that's my next movie, number seven, uh, Azor. Um, You watched this, and I'm glad you did, and I can't wait to hear what you have to say about it, because this movie was incredible to me. I mean, basically, the vibes are immaculate in the sense that they are paranoid and uh oof, i don't know it's like being in the lion's den this guy he, he plays a swiss banker who basically comes to uh south american country and uh during like a, a dictatorship coup changeover or whatever and he's trying to maintain the business of some of the clients uh, that are in charge of this government and yeah, I mean, most of the movie is him just like chilling out with his wife and talking to people who were in the midst of this kind of military dictatorship um, turnover. And uh, and then towards the end, he kind of takes a heart of darkness journey uh, in a way on a boat. And uh, I don't want to spoil it because, man, I love this movie. But what, what did you think about it? I'm interested to hear because we never really talked about it. I liked it, but this this is not like talking about what I just said a second ago, this is a situation where this movie is not for me. Really? Yeah. There was like, I like the slow burn aspect of it, but man, I'm just not a fan of, I, 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 there are certain aspects of watching a movie from a different culture that I love. And sometimes depending on the culture, there are aspects I don't like. And just hanging out with these rich motherfuckers, as he's just like going from thing to thing and like they're talking about his partner, which his partner sounded actually like a good businessman. That's beside <laughs> the point. Um, they're talking about his partner and this and that. And like, I just, I didn't get enough of it to really sink my teeth into. So it okay. might be similar to your, to your criticism of like wild Indian yeah. um, of like, there wasn't enough there. And then when it really took that dark turn, which was really cool, that's where I want it like another 30 minutes, mm. but I understand why we didn't get it because once you introduce certain elements, there is no real way to end it. Right. Aside from something catastrophic happening. Right. So I understand why they did what they did. And this was, this was a, 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 a solid movie, but it's not like I would have never watched this movie if you hadn't, told me about it first of all i'd never heard of it it wasn't even on anybody's list i had not seen anything about it 
Um, but yeah, I, I, I had actually, cause the, the way I, I, I formulate my, my, uh, my end of the year watching is like, I'll, I'll, you know, read synopsis of, of movies that are on other people's lists and then I'll watch the trailer and, you know, I mean, obviously I'll, I'll, some things I'm going to watch regardless, you know what I mean? But this was obviously one that I, I, it was on somebody's list. I don't even remember who, but then I watched the trailer and I was like, yep, this is, this is for me, you know? And, uh, and sure enough, I watched it, and it obviously was. Yeah, this this is this movie's like ninety percent atmosphere, you know. Like, uh, it almost kind of fools you into thinking that there's uh, that that the information you're getting somehow matters, and it really doesn't. You know what I mean? It, it's it's uh, yeah, no, I get that. It, it's heavy on the atmosphere, and there's not a lot of character meat on the bone. It's just this guy kind of uh, squirming and being paranoid and. It's squirming through there throughout this whole experience. Um, I do want to know what did you think about the end though? Cause I don't want to give too much away, but the ending shot, uh, you know, with the smile, you know, what did you think of that? What did you, because to me, that was like, I, I think that maybe that's what you were referring to when you said like, I wanted 30 more minutes, but this movie couldn't have gone on 30 minutes. That was the end. That was the point, right? Like we yeah. were worried about this guy and, uh, like he never really gives us a clue about his moral standing. And then he does at the very end. And it's like, Oh my God, he became one of them almost. I don't know. What did you think about that? I mean, it, it, I loved it, but it was also like you, you were fooling yourself. If you thought you were any different from the jump, mm, like okay. yeah. him as a character in the world that he exists in. Sure. And, and what he does for a living and what he has to associate with, I mean, this does come from like a built-in hatred that I have for certain aspects of what he does. Sure. But I, I yeah, I, I thought it was just him embracing his devil because his devil was ever present. Right. It just didn't come out yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It almost kind of felt like a like a faint on the viewer's perspective because it's like you didn't think this guy was a good guy, did you? And if you did, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> like he's a Swiss banker. Yeah. Like you know, <laughs> because because the movie. The movie spends a majority of its time building up this antagonist that we never meet, which is his business partner. Right, right. Like that's what the movie. So, so basically, it was almost a sleight of hand. While you're looking at keys, and, and you're thinking, yeah, like he's he's the piece of shit. This guy's the good guy. Yeah, like no, yes. you're wrong. Yes, no, that is a, oh, that is such a good way to put it. Yeah, because you're thinking what a piece of shit this guy was. And it's like, no, this guy, like, turns out this something happened to this guy. Maybe he got a scruple on his last, on his deathbed or something. Like, he did something to, to not be there anymore, which we don't even find out what it is. You know, like, oh man. Yeah, I don't, the more I'm talking about, the more I love this. Yeah, this, this shit is right up my fucking alley, man. I, uh, it re- reminded me of those, like, paranoid 70s thrillers or, like, uh, Olivier Assayas' Carlos, which I think is a great movie. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I I fucking love this movie. But anyways, we can we can go to uh, to yours now because we uh, we can skip my uh, six and five because we already talked about them. Okay, yeah, we'll say what they were, but we'll skip them. Um, My number six is uh, a movie that got no love. Like I'm not even joking. I went and saw this in theaters. I cannot believe that a movie theater here even had this movie playing. Uh, it's called Small Engine Repair. Mm. It's based on a play 
And um, like, I wasn't joking when I said like the term toxic masculinity is used in the synopsis, which I think is just foolish um, because you don't need to fucking spoon feed anybody. Yeah, if right. You can't watch this movie and understand what's going on. Then you're, you shouldn't watch the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you really need to tell me that the people, so the person in this movie is bad. I didn't know, you know, like, and I love it. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's about a, a group of friends and, and some, some things happen. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's I, some guys hanging out and then a little, you get a little piece of information that, that makes the rest of the movie different. And I'll be honest with you. First off, if this was me and you, you wouldn't even have to question whether or not I would help you. That's a fact. Shay Wiggum was the standout star in this one. I feel. Mm. I thought Jordan John Bernthal did a great job, but I thought Shay Wiggum, he was he he made me laugh, but then he made me sad. I love how he kept asking if things were homophobic. <laughs> he was just he because he's kind of the dumb guy, but he's not as dumb as he acts, and he's so sensitive, and he's also so loyal. Mm. And then you have the violent guy and then you have Bernthal who is kind of a combination of both. But I, I, I there was something about this movie. Once again, I, you know, I'm a sucker also for, for lifelong friends and camaraderie and, and being asked to make tough decisions. And um, yeah, I, I fucking love this movie. I thought, I thought it was just fantastic. I don't know. What did you think of it? I mean, this movie was tailor-made. This movie was made in a lab for you specifically, I think, just because it's got all your ingredients. And I, I honestly, I loved it. I, like, I was, this was definitely my favorite out of the ones that, like, I, like, had to watch that were on your list that weren't on mine. And I, uh, I loved it. I thought it was, I read that it was a play beforehand, and that completely makes sense. It's, it's definitely structured like a play, and you know, the whole time I was just like, where, what is going on? Like, what is the, what, what's, what's happening here? You know? And then, you know, you find out and it's like, Oh, like, it's just, I, I thought it was really good. You really can't say a lot about it, you know, without really spoiling it. But I thought the performances were really good. I thought the, uh, you know, yeah, I, 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 I liked it a lot, man. I, I thought it was really good and really well done. And the kind of thing that, uh, I don't know, the kind of thing that where I'm like, like, this is a good film recommendation from John. You know what I mean? Like, this is like, this is, this is a movie I never would have seen in a million years that I watched because you recommended it. And it turned out to be like really good. I, I really liked it. I thought it was great. I, I think they did some interesting plays with, the story. That's why I thought it, it like, like the play, the play, I would love to see that, but I love how they didn't cheat you on kind of the fantasy side when he was explaining things. Like they got pretty graphic with that, which I liked because mm. like they didn't have to do that, but I think it really added something to the visceral effect of his, of, of, of the decision that he was, he was debating on. Mm. I think it allows the audience to engage in that a little bit and be like, Oh fuck. Like this isn't, this isn't how other movies like this isn't how I, I I can't say a lot, but you know what I mean? This isn't how like, this is a lot messier than I thought things yes. would get. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So it really, it's not a cut and dry thing. There's a danger to that mentality 
which is obviously the clear point of the film. And I love how the resolution is the resolution was the problem. Right. So what caused the problem ended up being the resolution. And I thought that was pretty powerful, but I mean, you know, I, I like the social media aspect, but I mean, that ship has sailed. You don't really need to make these think pieces on the dangers of social media. So I'm glad that was, that was like the inciting incident, but it wasn't the base of the story. So. Right. Right. And and that actually not the social media stuff, but the, you know, the resolution quote unquote, there was a, uh, there was like some humor around that, which I thought was not problematic and in poor taste or like, you know, problematic quote unquote. But like, I was just kind of like, like, you're solving the problem by committing the exact same problem. Like, and it, it was almost like, if you're joking around, like maybe you should understand that. You know what I mean? It was a little too uncomplicated and a little too like funny, I think in, in certain specific moments, but those are just nitpicks. Like I, I think generally, uh, you know, because I mean like, what if you get the wrong guy? Like, and Jesus Christ, what they did. I mean, I don't know, man. I agree with that criticism, but I also think that that was on purpose Okay. because we're not dealing with Einstein's. That's true. Um, That's true. We're, we're dealing with people that were making an emotional decision that honestly, if I'm not joking as a father, like if I was a father in this situation, it would have been tough not to do decision a simply because of how, of how like lackadaisical he was being and how flippant he was being with, and, and obviously we don't want to spoil anything, but that's when the movie got super dark because it wasn't just what happened, but it was his reaction to what happened. Sure. Like if that's not a stone cold sociopath, I don't know what is. Sure. Right. So right, right, right. the movie introduced, it, it played with a lot of elements, but at the end, the reason I didn't have a problem with them joking around about it, was because I think it was on purpose. And I think it was to say like, nobody is, nobody wins here. Right. Like everybody's walking away scarred and like this, is this is a problem. Right. Like the, so, so the person who wrote the play needs you to understand this is a problem. We are not saying, Oh, this is the solution that worked out for everybody. Kind of like a Disney movie. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, there, there's an issue. Sure. Um, yeah. And I, I think, I think honestly, this might be one of those movies. It's not, like unless we can talk about it like we shouldn't talk about or not we shouldn't talk about it but it's like what's the point like unless you yeah unless we're spoiling everything it's not really fun to talk about you know uh or to listen to talk about i guess i should say so but i I I recommend it go go you know watch it it's fucking good i you know no i yeah i agree go watch it you can rent it anywhere amazon youtube any of that but yeah, let's get to uh, what is this your number six oh yeah we we uh yeah my number six is drive my car we talked about it um, looking forward to watching that. I'll have to keep uh, pay attention to when it comes out on a on DVD. Should be relatively soon. I think Criterion is going to release the DVD though, so it might be um, that actually may postpone it a little bit. But anyways, uh, my number five is the Last Duel. Mm, um, okay, it it's a movie. Uh, it's it's phenomenal. Ridley Scott, medieval, uh, Rashomon influences. Great acting all around, beautiful set pieces, beautiful costumes, some great battle scenes. You know, there was some problem we've already discussed, which we'll obviously touch on real quick uh, with it. But outside of that, I thought that this was a Ridley Scott masterpiece. 
And as I've said before, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it was a brilliant film, but as I've said before, I feel like this is also the last of its kind. We just watched the dinosaur go extinct. Actually, there's two movies on my top 10 that are dinosaurs going extinct. Unfortunately, um, this was a hundred million dollar adult drama that will never exist again unless a streaming service pays for it. Yeah, I mean, I um, I really liked uh, a lot of this movie. I liked most of it. I think Ridley Scott is really good at creating worlds. I don't think there's a lot of people that are better at it than he is uh, over the past uh, 50 years, you know, like creating kind of popcorn uh, worlds uh, in which movies take place. And th- this kind of medieval world that he creates is just so, oh, it's so beautiful and so fun and gritty and just, man, it's just like, it, it, like you just look at the set design and like, if you were to watch just like the, the movie with the sound off, you know, or like, you, you just be like, man, this, this is a fucking capital M movie. You know what I mean? They, they really, they really did not spare any expenses. You know, it, it's like gladiator, right? It's like the same, the same shit, the same kind of thing that happened with gladiator where it's like, this is a big ass motherfucking popcorn movie you know but (laughs) there's there's a very big but there which is um you know i i I, i'm sorry but the wokes the woke people are right about this one and i will you'll never hear me say that uh very often but i think they're right about the uh topic of like rape and sexual assault in movies i just i don't know man can we like it's just just even using it as like a plot element you know is like or i should say as a central plot element it's just i don't know man and i certainly did not need to see the scene twice you know the scene of with jody comer and uh adam driver and it's just uh i don't know man that really put a sour taste in in my mouth like because we're dealing with the consequences of it for like 45 minutes and then there's this like bizarre sequence where it's like a lot of like modern like Me Too commentary, kind of in the middle of this medieval epic. You know, I'm thinking specifically of like the last half hour, right before the final, uh, tit- the titular last duel. It just really like, I don't know, man. It really kind of dragged it down for me, which is a shame. I mean, because the surrounding everything else was incredible i'm fine with the rashomon stuff the set design was beautiful the performance i mean matt damon is hilarious as i mean i will affleck is hilarious but matt damon is like the way that he sees himself as this like noble working class knight and the way that his wife sees him uh as just kind of a brute and then the way that adam driver sees him as just a fucking idiot like like is really funny to me and really effective but like i don't know man i'm gonna sound like you know i'm writing on tumblr in 2014 but like dude i just wish a fucking gruesome rape was not like a centerpiece in this fun medieval epic like i i don't know man well you know we don't have to spend too much time on this but i will say i agree with you as we discussed the text message when you watched it i agree with you that we didn't need to see it so many times but either either heavily imply it so we can kind of get it and move on really or or show it once if you have to for the for the power of the story because this really was this was a me too movie 
And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. It right. was a Me Too movie that happened to take place a thousand years ago or 500 years ago or whatever. Because it is about a woman accusing someone else of a sexual assault. So her husband, because of his pride, not because of her honor, um, challenges him to the death. And if her husband loses, she will get burned for lying. Because if she if he loses, clearly that means God is saying she's a liar. Mm-hmm. So the movie, I don't, I don't have a problem with the Me Too commentary. I thought it was well done. But really what should have happened... If you need to show it once, show it once. Like for for the for the sake of the story. I am not a big fan typically of like graphic sex scenes and stuff like that in movies. I think they pretty much do nothing to the story, but this kind of was the centerpiece to the story. But don't show it again. End the rest of them like like with the door closing when Adam Driver goes in her chambers. Because the only perspective we should have seen was hers because Adam driver's perspective is, Oh, well she started to enjoy it because she was in love with me. That's fine. You could have acknowledged that with just the character talking. The only perspective that matters was hers because clearly she didn't clearly he was wrong, but I, I I can't argue your criticism really aside from that. Like I, I I don't, you, we did not need to see it. I don't know why Ridley did that. We didn't need to see it so graphically. Um, so yeah, that did annoy me. Yeah, it's just I don't know, man. I I, I just found myself I, the fact that like you saying it's a Me Too movie, like I agree with that, and that's that's the part of the movie I didn't like. Like you know what I mean? Like I was like, I thought I thought I was just signing up. I thought I was signing up for Gladiator in the Middle Ages, and you know, I, and I well, I mean, if you if you knew if you knew the story, then you should have you should have known you weren't signing up for Gladiator because of what it was about. What do you mean the story? Like the the story that it's based on is based on a true story. It's based on a woman accusing a knight of rape. So they do a lat literally the last duel in France. And if and if her husband loses, she gets burned at the stake. Oh yeah, um, I didn't know any of that. I didn't know anything. About- oh yeah, well if you don't know that, then I can see how that's a problem uh, with what you were expecting. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, I like I didn't know any of that. I literally did not know that that was. You know, and maybe if I'd known that going in, I would have been able to like prepare myself. But like, I, like it was like jolting, like awake. I was like, "Oh, this is what this is about." Like, <laughs> like I, li- I like I literally had no clue. I, I literally thought I was watching a fun, medieval, like wild ass crazy movie. And like, you know, I don't know, man. I mean, part of it is expectations, and part of it is just like. God damn it, I really just wanted something fun. You know what I mean? And I will say that the actual last duel, brother, that thing delivered. Like, I wanted. It did. That was beautiful. I wanted two and a half hours of that shit. Like, yeah. Figure out a, figure out a, like, let's do Bloodsport, the movie, but in medieval times. Like, why don't we do that shit? You know, like, like, it's like, uh, this is the disease that I feel like has infected, like, mainstream Hollywood liberals which is that like they have to make like a it's like the Catherine Bigelow thing like she got so taken to task by for, with her zero dark 30 people claiming it was a pro war movie which it is absolutely fucking not that she made Detroit afterwards which is like this you know about these racist cops and stuff and it's like can, can we just make movies man like not one single person is going to change their mind about me too after watching the fucking last duel i'm sorry it's not happening you know, like on on the one hand, I agree with you because the problem is directors are doing it and it feels so contrived. But if 
if what you're doing is reactionary, which is what film has always been, right. I don't have a problem with it. The problem is with something like Detroit, which I didn't mind the movie, it felt very contrived. It felt like she was trying to, she was actively trying to seek amends or something. Mm-hmm. Right, um, yeah. So no, I, I see your reasoning, but I, I don't wholly agree with, with the other side of it. Yeah, I don't know. I will say one last thing I really loved about the movie. It took medieval morality uh, f- like on its face. You know what I mean? Like I hate, I hate when movies try to like transmute modern morality into the past, which I guess this movie kind of does on some level. But I mean, like there was no waffling. It was like, no, no, no. If he, if he kills him, then you were lying. And it's like, well, that's not rational. And it's like, yeah, these people didn't prize rationality. Like we think being rational is equated with being right and good. They didn't think that way. Like, you know what I mean? Like the past truly is a foreign country. The past is another planet actually, you know, like, uh, like it's just like when he's like, uh, when he's like, but we love each other. And so it was okay. It's like, yeah, that's how these nights thought. Like they, they, that's that, like, look up courtly love. Like that shit, like that shit was an ideology that, that was infecting like the, not the ruling class, but the night class of the day. You know what I mean? Like it, it takes the, uh, the morality of the day at face value. It was completely different from today. You know, it's, in fact, actually, if it was actually taking medieval morality on its face, Adam Driver's character would have never done that. You know what I mean? Like, typically. I know it's a true story, but yeah. Anyways, I don't know, man. Just come on, man. Just let's fight. Let's have fights and fucking violence and poke each other's eyes out and shit. I don't, I don't need all these lessons and shit, you know? No, sometimes complicated issues have to be considered. I'm sorry. I disagree with that. I disagree with that sentiment when it comes to this particular movie, but that is a conversation for another time. Listen, what's your number five? Didn't we already talk about it? Yeah, we already talked about number five, uh, Macbeth. Okay, yeah, yeah, Tragic Macbeth. Yeah, yeah. So, guys, watch that. It's on Apple TV. Yeah. My number four, I don't feel like you like that much. Actually, I think we're going to have the same disagreement, if I remember your text message correctly. (laughs) Oh, Um, no. Uh, my number four is pig. Mm-hmm. I'm not at at the expense of sounding like a uh, a pansy. Pig touched me deeply. What it did? Pig affected me on some emotional level. I'm not really quite comfortable with. You said you wanted more of the shit in the basement with the chefs, and I that's a that's a confounding statement. Um, if it. it it's all, I don't know if you meant it this way, but it's all, it's almost like you're disregarding the emotional core of the movie by saying you just kind of wanted it to be this action genre thing where he's just trying to fight shit and, and, and get his pig back. So how did you mean that when you told me that? That's exactly, if you even remember that's saying exactly what I meant. I meant exactly what I like. I, li- so, I literally wanted, okay, here's what I wanted. Right. And you say, okay, well, then the emotional core of the movie is gone. All right, cool. I, I don't care about the emotional core of the movie. <laughs> Why do you think movies made in the last 20 years aren't allowed to be emotional and ask complicated questions the way other movies do that we talk about here all the time? Because I don't, because, okay, okay, that's a great question. And I'll tell you why. Because I think most of the time, most of the time, movies are not the correct medium 
to be like opening up these important questions and thinking deep thoughts and shit. Genuinely, I truly believe that. I like I don't think movies are the best medium for that and I think people have convinced themselves that watching movies or watching different the right television shows is like educating like for instance i think people watched orange is the new black and were like wow i'm learning a lot about black culture from watching orange is the new black it's like why don't you read a book you know like (laughs) it's like well i don't want to read a book i want to watch tv and it's like that that's that's why because i i think people directors and shit they tap they they want their work to like ask profound questions about society and it's like most of the time movies are not good at that and in order to be good at that you have to be really really fucking good like you have to be geo punta corvo in battle of algiers right and frankly yeah that that's 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 my that's my answer to that honestly well you know, once again, a conversation for another time since we have more movies to get through. But I will say, um, trying to figure out a, a, an articulate way to put this, that's a load of horse shit. <laughs> and also, we, also, not no, I, I don't complain when movies do it. I mean, Power of the Dog, we're about to talk about, is about toxic masculinity and it's about homosexual desire. And it's a good ass fucking movie, right? Like, you're you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I don't understand that criticism. Like hey, I like I understand hey, it. Get on that a baby base out the fucking window. <laughs> I well, I agree with that. Um, I understand. <laughs> I understand the base argument, but I really I know baby out with the bathwater is a is kind of an aged statement. But I do feel like you're you're kind of dismissing real art when when film has proven itself a proper medium. I can't help it that it's been that it's been tainted by corporations and studios and, and comic book movies and whatnot. But, but art, uh, the, the art form of cinema is, is uh, frankly the main art form we have. So love it or hate it, deal with it. That's what we have. People are reading less. People aren't looking at paintings. Movies are, are what it's what it is. So when directors and storytellers and writers try to ask these complicated questions and do things in a non-contrived manner, I adamantly disagree with your take, sir. Dude, I just want to have fun most of the time. Then you go read a fucking book. I do. <laughs> like, Good. I, like, then you have fun I'm... reading the books and you let us watch the movies. <laughs> okay. All right. So so let's talk about this in regards to Pig. Because I want to know what what emotional core am I? Am I? Is this a movie about loss? Is like that? Is that what it is? Dude, this is, this is a, a 90 minute examination of grief it has it it, honestly it has nothing to do clearly it has nothing to do with the pig it has to do with what the pig represents see Um, okay a 90 minute examination of grief i don't want that (laughs) i'm like i'm not like i know that sounds like simplistic but it's true i don't want that no it is it sounds and it is (laughs) i don't want okay i shouldn't say i don't want it if it's coming from uh, a director whose work I admire and if it, you know a, a, somebody like that like okay I'll give it a shot but most of the time so because you don't know Michael Sarnosky you're dismissing Michael Sarnosky I'm dismissing this movie <laughs> <laughs> I don't want a 90 minute examination of grief man I just want to watch a fun movie I just want to have fun at the movies fucking Nicolas Cage got his pig stolen dude I wanted 
I want a John Wick with fucking with Nicolas Cage and the pig, and he finally rescues the pig at the end, and him and the pig are happily ever after. I do not want a 90-minute meditation on grief. I don't want that. I'm, I'm not saying this lightly. I need the listeners to know that. Uh, we've known each other for two de- almost two decades. You've been my podcast partner for over two years. Uh, you are part of the problem. <laughs> First of all, we've known each other for longer than two decades. Uh, That's not true. Yeah, it is. We're 35. I think we met when we were like 13. No, we didn't. We met when we were like 15. Okay. So well, yeah, whatever. 20 years. Whatever. <laughs> I, I'm part of the problem. Okay. Guilty, yes. guilty as charged. I don't give a fuck. Yes. Yes. The, the tomfoolery being spewed from your word hole for the last 10 minutes <laughs> <laughs> makes you part of the fuck. You know what? I was trying not to get angry. I told myself I wasn't going to get angry, but now I'm angry. Let's just move on to your number four. All right. Well, Now your number four is higher on my list, FYI. Uh, I don't, dude. I don't see what's so wrong with me wanting to have fun and not wanting to watch Nicholas. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with you wanting to have fun. But there are fun, like so. You say you want a John Wick with a pig. Go watch John Wick. Like, just go watch John Wick. There's no John Wick with Nicholas Cage. Then go. Then then watch John Wick with Keanu Reeves, who's also badass, and then go back and watch Pig. I don't. I don't want to watch Pig again. <laughs> I meant originally. Um, I, I, dude, I honestly like all jokes aside. I understand what you're saying. I understand your criticism. Like you don't want to feel sad when you finish a movie, right? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think that's a juvenile take. I don't think like for anybody that does like. And I know some people would be like, "Oh, well, no, so you, so you don't want to be a grown up or any of that bullshit." Fuck all that. But wait, let me clarify though. Let me clarify because some of the movies higher on my list are well, two of the movies are pretty sad. One of them is definitely. But like, if I'm gonna be like enduring some kind of pain or sadness, I want the if aesthetic experience to be strong enough that it makes it worth it. You know what I'm saying? Card counter. Well, that's so subjective. Well, exactly. I mean, that's what it, (laughs) I mean, like that's what it comes back down to. It's like, I would rather like watch a devastating drama that's directed by Paul Schrader doing his Robert Bresson impression than I would watch pig. You know what I mean? Like it's subjective, but like, yeah, I mean, everything is, you know, like, one of those things gets my dick hard and one of them doesn't, you know? Well, that's a little too much information. Um, <laughs> anyway. So let's, um, let's table Power of the Dog, because spoiler alert, it's my number one film. Oh, so, shit. Okay. Um, Nicely so done. Let's, I like it, dude. So yours, that's your number four, which is awesome because it's so high. I was hoping it wouldn't be low. Um, not that, like, I think top ten, not that I think anything at the eight, nine, or ten slide it's indicative of it wasn't good, but it's top 10 for a reason. Like clearly making the list means something. That's just my own take on it. Um, Well, and I'll say this, I'll just say this about power of the dog. Like it's my number four in any other year. I feel like this would be number one. I mean, I I haven't gone back and looked, but like this was a good fucking year for movies, man. Like I power of the dog is great. And it's my number four. Like it should be higher, you know? Um, Power of the Dog was nothing short of magical, but that's going to be, this episode is going to be a little longer, guys. That's going to be a conversation we'll close out the episode with. Yeah, we'll get to it. Okay. Um, What's your number my three? Number three's, my number three is a short conversation because you haven't seen it. Nightmare Alley. Mm. Nightmare Alley was 
probably the second best Del Toro film. Um, I just can't dethrone Pan's Labyrinth because it's a masterpiece. Nightmare Alley was just, it was a joyous occasion to watch this in movie theaters. This is the other movie that I feel like, unless a streaming service pays for, we will not get another one like it. Um, I look, I I really wish I could have seen it before we recorded this episode. Um, I was really looking forward to it. I just, man, I just, it it didn't stay in theaters very long up here, man. I mean, like it was in and out and I guess it's going to be on HBO max in a few days and I'm eagerly anticipating it. Um, so it flopped so bad. It made me so sad. The uniqueness that Del Toro got the, and you can tell that he read the book and was obsessed with it before he watched the original, which I think helped a lot because mm. I've never read the book, but clearly I've seen the original. So Bradley Cooper, I'm so glad this sounds crazy, but I'm so glad he, he took over when Leo left the project because I think Cooper killed it. Um, th- this movie, I can't like, I like I already told you, I can't really tell you a lot of how I felt about it until you watch it because Honestly, at the core of it, there is some truly frightening ideas. Hmm. And um, that for me, obviously, everyone probably interpreted this, interpreted this differently. But either way, obviously can't say anything else. But go watch it when it's available on streaming, guys, if you didn't get to see it in theaters. so I'm very excited. Um, your number three is my number two. So we can kind of talk about it at the same time. There we go. Motherfucking card counter, man. Um. How the fuck did this movie get so much hate? Like, what the actual fuck was going on? I, I mean, I think I think people did not. I think people thought it was going to be an easy, like a an easygoing kind of thriller. Um, and the reason people maybe thought that is because that's essentially what the fucking trailer says. <laughs> like, that's and, true. I guess if you don't know who Paul Schrader is, you're easy, You're going to be fooled. I, I, I was halfway fooled. I'm I'm honestly glad I read somebody on Twitter was like, oh shit, I didn't know the card counter was not what it was advertised to be. And I was like, oh, okay, good. Like, like it's more of a follow-up to first reformed than it is to uh than it is like a like the trailer shows it to be like a fun a fun fucking movie. Like it, you know, it uh God damn. I don't even know where to start. I, I, I literally don't even know where to start with this movie, man. Well, I'll start with a complaint. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Tiffany Haddish was miscast. I'm sorry. I, um, I agree with that. I, I love Tiffany Haddish. I think she's hilarious, but she was miscast in this. But Schrader saw something between her and Oscar Isaac, and I can't really fault well, that. I got a, I, okay. I think she's... I, I, I don't think she's miscast. I think she is the only thing in this movie, and I mean the only thing that is bringing any kind of warmth or anything resembling, I'll say that, human warmth. So she sticks out like a sore thumb. And I don't just mean from the other performances. I mean from the fucking landscape. Like, one of the things about this movie is it takes place in nowhereville, right? Like it takes place in bleak, like just almost anonymous settings. And she sticks out like a sore thumb. So I agree with you, but I think it was intentional. She's the only, I agree. Just like she's the only source of life in this movie. 
I believe the title was intentional too. For anybody that knows Paul Schrader, I, I believe he did that to fuck with us. Interesting. So, what do you mean? Because not only does the movie have very little to do with card counting. Oh, right. The movie, like, like I, I don't mean, I don't mean that as like what people have been saying. Oh, there's barely, I mean, our main character, and, and this is coming from someone who's played poker for 20 years. Our main character spends most of his time talking about Hold'em. Mm. So not only is it a troll because there's barely any card, like there's barely any cards being played in general. Oh, that's right. He barely plays blackjack. That's right. That's I didn't, I never put that together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Card counting only matters in blackjack. Yeah, you can't count cards in, in any form of poker uh, right. that I'm aware of, especially Hold'em. So I think all in all, it was just like, I swear to God, I think Paul Schrader wrote this movie, had an idea, executed said idea, and they were like, hey, what do you want to call this? And he's like, the card counter. <laughs> and he may have been joking. I don't even fucking know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, it's I guess it's kind of it's not really a spoiler to say that this is, you know, this is a movie about uh, a guy who used to be uh, an Iraq torturer, basically. Um, I think that might be in the synopsis. It's certainly not in the trailer. Um, Do you think this movie is pro torture? Oh God! Yeah, don't even get me. Yeah, I, I'll get fucking heated if we start having that conversation. If anybody says that it is, don't send <laughs> well, me that after, tweet. <laughs> after I finished it, I just wanted to torture somebody, oh, so I don't know what to say. Yeah, I mean that's that's what I, that's instantly why I started torturing my dog. <laughs> yeah, I mean this is the follow up to First Reformed, and I'm not going to say it's better than First Reformed. I don't know, maybe it is. It's not. I do disagree with that. To me, it's not. I, I, I genuinely think it's up in the air. I mean, first reformed, first reformed is perfect, but dude, so is this, man. Like, I just, uh, uh, when I say Paul Schrader is on his Robert Bresson shit, I mean that shit. This guy, the the acting, and, and I should say Oscar Isaac specifically, it, it's so minimalistic. Everything is so minimalistic in this. And it's, 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 the, it's a, it's a, it's a twist on the same kind of things that Paul Schrader has been doing his entire career. God's lonely man. But he's just, he's just boiling it down to its essentials. I mean, even, even the thing that is like the thing that is like torturing Oscar Isaac, no pun intended, uh, is out of date. You know, who's still talking about torture in the Iraq war, right? Like it's, it's, Dude, I don't know. Well, probably man. nobody because they don't want to get caught. But... <laughs> well, yeah. But, like, dude, it is just so, like, and the scenes of the actual torture, I mean, dude, th- that 180-degree camera angle and the and the dogs and the Jesus Christ, man. I mean, this is one of the essential movies about the 2000s and the bush era and the torturing and you know what fuck it 21st century because we are still doing that shit it's just not as publicized and you know like i guarantee you we're still doing different forms of that shit you know it's uh god damn what a movie dude this this is an, an essential american movie i mean it is because the fact that America has changed like like the the essential American movie because America has changed so much. It's crazy to say that this movie about torture is the essential American movie, but you're right because we the, the country has changed so much, not not just in the 21st century, but in a post 
world. Mm, right. And it's like, uh, it's like, uh, this is the, like, the, the world that, that Paul Schrader is showing us, right? This is not Vegas, right? This is not even Atlantic City. This is, these are just random bum ass casinos in bleak, you know, highways and diners. And I mean, nothing romantic about this movie at all. And the implication is hey, you know, all that pain and torture and horror that we inflicted on people and that we uh, made our national calling card and our that 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 this spiritual just wickedness that we inflicted on the world you know why we did that we did that to protect these uh uh morally and culturally bankrupt uh stretches of highway and stretches of concrete and uh the random casino with a parking lot that can hold 10,000 cars and you know what i mean like it's not in defense of like some grand civilization no it's just in defense of like a a mediocre dystopia where no one's having a good time and we're all just kind of spiritually disconnected that's what we're doing all this evil for god damn dude this movie is amazing i think it's 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 perfect I agree. Guys, if you haven't seen it because of what you've read or heard, go watch it. Highly recommend. I mean, clearly. Um, so that was my number two, your number three. So let's talk about your number two. Yeah, my number two. I'm interested to hear what you had to say about this. This is this is a really out-of-the-way movie. I saw it on a top ten list, and I figured I'd give it a try because I had a movie subscription. And uh, it's called All Hands on Deck, and it God damn, man. It's just about buddies hanging out. Basically, this one guy uh, meets this girl and then follows her on vacation with her family, and which, you know, is a bad idea. But uh, he, and along the way, or they, they get a driver along the way. I don't know if it's like Uber or something. Um, and it's just about guys having fun and making connections on this like uh this journey that they go on and it's not even so much a journey as like they reach the destination which is this vacation spot and it's just like this private place away from society where they make these connections and they they bond and they interact and there's just there's just some uh capital r romantic moments in this you know like they just God damn, man. I don't know. What did you think of this movie? Because I, I, this is one of those movies that like I would never go to bat for as like the card counter. Like this is such an important, vital movie. Like blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, like this is just, this movie was specifically made for me. It's just dudes hanging out, meeting girls, coming together, growing apart, coming back together. Oh, I love this movie so much. What did you think of it? Well, it's funny because of all the movies on your list that I watched outside of the French dispatch, this is the one I enjoyed the most, but it's also the one I don't have a ton to say about because mm. it was just a fun movie, dude. There's not like a lot to movie, say. Yeah. Yeah. This movie didn't try to reinvent the will or, and I don't even mean that in a derogatory way. Yeah. This movie's not trying to reshape anything. It's just, it's just these dudes having fun. Like they, they go on a road trip. They develop a re relationship with this driver and they're all just friends and they all go on these separate journeys. It's like, it's like watching a, the, 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 the summer episodes of the wonder years for anybody. That's a, I know that's an old pull, but um, yeah, 
I loved those episodes. I love summer episodes of all the shows that we grew up watching because it was something out of the ordinary and you develop these relationships and you go on these journeys and they, they develop you in so many different ways, but then they're just over. And yeah. this isn't exactly a coming of age movie because all these guys are grown, but they're still changing and emotionally evolving and shifting and, like, it's just, you see that growth. You see the confidence being built in the driver. You see the maturity being built in the guy with the woman and the baby. And, and clearly the other one is working out his own issues with why what he did was kind of insane. Hmm. It was just, yeah, it was fun, dude. It was fun. It, it, I really liked the driver, especially when, when the, he's talking to the guy about, do you think I could, you think I could stand in for you in the summer? And he's like, it's a tough job. And like, he's like doing an interview or it was just really funny. Like, I just love the confidence. Yeah. The guy that we saw talking to his mother earlier and like, didn't even have the, the guts to hang up on her really. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now he's, he's, he's doing this. Like, I don't know. There was just something so endearing about this. Yeah. I just, yeah. It's like five years ago, this would have never been this high on my top 10 list, but like, I, I'm starting to to lean into movies like this where like, I can appreciate the power of the dog. And this is my number one too, is similar to this. Like the power of the dog may be the greater work of art and card counter may be a greater work of art. I mean, Helma Moria may be a greater work of art, you know, some of the stuff further down the list, but like, this is just like, you know, Paul Schrader's making a movie about America. This guy's making a movie about vacation, right? Like, and it's neither of those is more important than the other, right? Like, this is a movie about vacation. Vacation is weird. You go, you spend time, you, you know, interact with people you don't normally interact with, and then you never see them again. And, you know, it's just, man, the, the guy with the baby and his, his friend making fun of him and then him saying, you know, kind of storming out on the pregnant woman. I mean, dude, it's just, goddamn. I, it, it's just this movie is so good and so like it reminded me of like going to camp when i was a kid and then like you come home and you're like what what was that experience even for i'll never see those people again you know like you know but 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 being kind of jazzed and high on the experience you know it, it, it's just i don't know man even like going to six flags as a kid and like seeing somebody your age on like the other, you know, a girl your age, like on the other side of the, the roller coaster line or whatever. And, and making eye contact a few times while you switch back and you just never see her again, you know, just, just like, this is a movie about that, you know? And it's, um, ah, oh man, it's just a really magical movie. I just love it so much. It, it, everybody should watch it. Obviously, you know, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. Too. No yeah no i really i really enjoyed it. i it thought was, i thought you breath. would like i i remember i recommended this before i even thought about a top 10 list because i was just like i i think you will appreciate the kind of laid back guy guys just being dudes aspect of this movie you know yeah it was it was really a breath of fresh air okay so we already know what my number one is which is power of the dog so we can end out on that conversation let's talk about your number one because i watched it i enjoyed it but it was missing something. And you told me it was the perfect movie via a text message. Well, I probably should have added for me <laughs> into that text message. Um, you know, 
Wes Anderson is 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 steering into the skid. You know, I think what people kind of make fun of him for the artifice and the, um, you know, all those things. He's leaning into that. Uh, there's an animated sequence in this movie, the, the which was fucking awesome. It was incredible, but like the bells and the whistles, he he just keeps adding those to his movies. And I think there's a reasonable complaint to be made. This is something Leo Robson mentioned uh, when he was on our podcast for our Wes Anderson show. You know that the heart might be, uh, you know, not as there as much as it was, especially when you go back to something like Royal Tenenbaums. You know. And I'm sympathetic to that argument. I am. Like when you say something is missing, I believe me. For the general public or for anybody, I can see how they uh, how they would think that. I can see how anybody would think that. But this movie seems like it was made in a lab personally for me. Philip Lope, uh, who I've studied under and I admire his work as a writer and as a curator. He has a, an anthology that he just came out that called "The Golden Age of the American Essay" from 1945 to 1970, right? And there was a golden age of American letters, American writing from, I will say, probably 1925 until 1975. It's about 50 years. And this is a golden age of American letters in the, in the sense, not in the sense of like v- these big, important novels that were coming out, but in the sense that American writers were kind of dispatched to Europe and New York and not really Los Angeles yet, and sometimes maybe closer to the 70s, but they were dispatched to these places, and they were just writing about things, right? They were just um, writing about, you know, human interest story. Like, there's a guy named Joseph Mitchell who wrote a book called Up in the Old Hotel. He was a writer for The New Yorker, and, like, he would come in to, the New- to like, The New Yorker for the day, and they'd be like, hey, there's, um, there's a guy in Queens who says he's related to the uh, Romanov family that was killed in the Russian Revolution. Go check that out. So he goes out to Queens. He does it. He, he comes back to the office, writes a little 400-word uh, write-up of the thing. And then they're like, okay, what's next? Okay, now there's a guy, uh, there's, an, there's a, a Chinese guy out in Brooklyn who says uh, that he can, uh, he can eat uh, 34, uh, swallow 34 nails. You know, go check that out. See if that's real. And he would go back and then write about that. And he would do that like three times a day. And like, the, the important thing was not what they were writing about, but was their style, their voice, what they, what they brought to things. This is a movie about those people and the kinds of stories they told, right? James Baldwin was one of those. And Jeffrey Wright is basically a James Baldwin. Uh, like, like Wes Anderson has like a little taxonomy where he's like, yeah, this character is supposed to be this person. This character is supposed to be this person, you know? And, this is my favorite era of writing. It is the only thing, Jesus, I shouldn't say this out loud or on a podcast, but it is really the only thing that inspires me uh, from a literary perspective at this point in my life. And it's, this is a whole movie dedicated to that. And that's it. That's, that's, that's why I love this movie so much. Like, and I, I do think the individual stories are very funny and profound. I mean, the, the middle one with Timothy Chalamet is probably the best parody of a Jean-Luc Godard movie we're ever going to get. Um, I, I think the first one is very moving, you know, when the, when the guy changes out, when Benicio Del Toro changes out for the other actor, you know, I found that a very moving uh, thing. And, um, you know, I don't know, man. I, I just, 
this thing was made in a lab for me. Yeah, there was no other choice for me for my number one of the year. It, this, this movie inspired me to get back to my literary roots. It made me kind of fall back in love with writing again after having the miserable experience of getting an MFA. I loved it. I, I, I did. I, there's nothing else that even remotely affected me the way that this movie did. I mean, I, I loved it. My problem is, you know, is the fact that, that I miss the Royal Tenenbaums and, and my favorite Wes Anderson movie is Life Aquatic. I miss that feeling. Mm-hmm. Even the fantastic Mr. Fox. Don't get me wrong. I, 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 I think this movie is fantastic. I love the cinematography. I love the style. None of that stuff ever gets old. I just, for me, I felt like it was missing something. But honestly, watching it, of course, I knew why you loved it. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I, I understand that. I just, it was just missing something for me on that level to really bring it to that level. But I mean, I, I understand why you loved it a hundred percent. I mean, but it yeah. was a fantastic movie. It really was. People can say what they want about Wes Anderson, but the dude has a fucking voice. It's like that. It's like that. Somebody said, like, did people complain? Like, oh, here comes another Jacques Tati movie. Like, what's it going to yeah. be? You know, like, you know, and making fun of like, oh, it looks like another Jacques Tati movie. They all look the same. And it's like, yeah, he's a genius. That's why that's why all his movies look the same, because he's he's a singular artist with a specific vision. And dude, I mean, I'm, I'm even incapable of seeing the French Dispatch for any for for even as a movie. You know what I mean? Like it's it it's not even a movie to me it's like this it's just like a a tinker toy box of like all of my favorite toys in 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 one you know movie it's i can't like i i'll be the first one to buy the criterion edition when it comes out like it's just you know um it's more than a movie to me uh, french dispatches so but let's get into. Yeah, i mean it, it, it was fantastic i mean don't get me wrong let's get into the big one though so Power of the Dog is a movie that's haunted me since I watched it. Uh, I watched it twice. I thought Benedict Cumberbatch was the best performance of the year. If he doesn't get an Oscar, I mean, not that the fucking Oscars matter anyway. I've, and, I've always and, been a little soft on Cumberbatch. This completely quelled all doubts. This was an amazing performance. In a movie where he delivers this kind of performance, but then you still... Like even even with this absolute juggernaut of a performance, you still manage to get three other performances yep. that are also stand out. Yep. That doesn't even make any sense. Yeah. Like Jane Campion directed this beautiful, brilliant, complete masterpiece of a movie. Yeah. And 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 I'm gonna say something here that's a little that's a little um controversial Mm -hmm. but i read some people talk about yeah i get it it's just i don't see it guys i don't get it i don't get it like what's the point like i it's it's contemplative meditative whatever fucking word you want to use but i just don't understand it and they'll give it like two and a half stars three stars and then you look on their top 10 for the year and their number one is the most overrated film of 2021 great night hands down the green knight is the most (laughs) overrated i knew it fucking movie and I love David Lyra. I love everyone involved in that movie. And that movie, I went in that theater telling my wife, that's going to be on my top 10, no doubt about it. Yep. And I walked out and it's like someone punched me in the stomach. Yep. So for anyone who has the, the audacity to talk shit about this movie, it's fine if you don't like it. 
But I swear to God, if the Green Knight's on your top 10 and you're telling me something about this, it's just really going to piss me off. Um, Chris, uh, uh, Kirsten Dunst and uh, Jesse Plemons, despite the fact that they're married, they're just ridiculous in this movie. Yeah, yeah. And, and Cody, Smith, uh, Cody Smith McPhee gets the silver um, because... He, Dude, he was so fucking awkward and weird. Yep. And, and and the play back and forth between him and, and Benedict's character, Phil. Um, God, this movie was, dude, this movie, it really made me, uh, I don't know, man. I, what what did you think? I mean. I mean, dude, it's, 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 this is the only real movie I think I would feel comfortable calling a masterpiece that, that, that came out this year. You know, it, 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 you know, I remember we talked about Clint Eastwood ending the Western on Unforgiven. And I, I think that's generally true. Uh, but boy, oh boy, is this such an incredible riff on the Western, you know, like it, it it's it, it, the subtlety and, you know, everybody talks about the main core of the movie, but dude, there are moments between Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst who, it, it must be said, are side characters. Like, there are moments between them that are so tender and loving and affectionate that it is almost, I mean, it makes your heart want to explode. And, 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 and I do, I do want to double down. Don't forget, they are married. Right. So they, they know each other intimately and they can still produce this on-screen yeah. with, without seeming fake, without seeming like, oh yeah, well, you're married, so whatever. Like, no, they still brought something to it. Sorry to interrupt you, but that no, no, cannot no, no, no. go unsaid. I mean, and Kirsten Dunst is great. Like, we, I mean, li she's literally been acting since she's a child. Like, she, she's gotten her flowers. We know, you know, we know how great she is. Dude, Plemons is a motherfucking beast, man. Th that guy is a real actor. I mean, he is... He, he is bringing it to the table with just a subtlety and the, the way that he delivers his lines in response to his brother and the way that he, and he's like the fourth best thing about this movie. Like he, it, dude, it's just, and just, just the masculinity, man, just the way Cumberbatch acts and the way that everybody kowtows to him and the way that he's making fun of the kid and, the way that he treats Kirsten Dunst be and because it's all because like people are like, Oh, it's just like a repressed homosexuality movie. And it's like, dude, you don't even begin to understand if, if that's what you're like boiling this movie down to, like, I'm sorry, but you're just, you miss something somewhere. Like this movie is about so much more than that. It is about, but it is definitely about that. I mean, it is, you know, it's uh, the reveal with the handkerchief was so powerful and so well done. And it, it's a perfect combination of performance and directing and camera work. Like, dude, you can't fuck with this movie, man. Jay Campion. I mean, she just she just blew the doors off of everybody else this year. I feel like this is goddamn, man. I if this movie wins a bunch of Oscars and becomes like a, a big thing, like it will genuinely be great for like movie culture. It, it, like if this, if this movie like wins best picture or something, I genuinely believe that because this is a real motherfucking work of art, man. 
the my the thing that I loved about this movie the most, the thing that this movie resonated with me, like in terms of uh, of what I love about cinema, is Benedict creates this character with Phil. He didn't create it. Tom Savage created it, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. He creates this character that is so hateable and so detestable. Like you, you literally like for the first hour of this movie, you just want to shoot this motherfucker in the face with his own gun. Yeah. And then the movie turns yep. and slowly and subtly this gentleness starts to come over him. And, and, and what's so powerful about the movie to me and the reason I can't, I could not get it out of my head after I watched it was the scene with the rope mm. where, where Cody Smith McPhee clearly not going to spoil anything. If you haven't seen it, I don't know why you haven't yet. It's on Netflix, but I still want yeah, I mean, to it's been it. on Netflix for like six weeks. So it's time to watch. Yeah. It, you know, when, when he gives him the rope, I'm not talking about, you don't find out why until later, but it is a heartbreaking moment. Yep. And Benedict played this character to where, even though he was heinous, like he broke my heart at the end of this movie. Yeah. He, he, he like, he genuinely hurt, like the, to, to see how his story ends, because I, I genuinely think the character had the power to change. And that is the beauty of why I love cinema. That is the essence yep. of, of film to me. Uh, it, it's magical. Honestly, this movie was magical. Yeah. It's um, the ending, you know, I, 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 <laughs> I won't say a lot about the ending cause I, I don't, I want to spoil it, but the ending is, I saw some people saying that it's too ambiguous and dude, I'm, I'm sorry. Like <laughs> it's just not, but also like the revelation of what the end what the title means at the end and it coming from the bible which has all these like loaded associations with it but is it is such an important part of our culture specifically american culture and like dude it's just it's just supremely powerful man i mean it's it's there's no there's no other words for it it's just the way that it's structured is so it's so careful in its structure and so planned out and so uh so incredible yeah i couldn't agree with you more i your number one movie of the year uh, what did i say was my number four yeah i mean it's 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 i have no i would have no problem saying it was my number one of the year you know it's it really was that good and and considering how much gold streaming services have given us this year i guess it's just time to 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 realize that for me We've talked about this a lot on the podcast, so I guess I'll close out with this. Because The Power of the Dog was just nothing short of a brilliant film, and Jane Campion is a genius. Um, the, the movie theater experience in terms of watching powerful movies like this, like dramas, like it's over. It's, it's gone. Mm-hmm. It's never coming back. Like Corporations have won. Comic book movies have won. And whatever. I don't even care anymore. I've rounded the corner. But I fully am starting to just embrace the fact that Netflix might exist and it might be a problem, but if they continue with movies like this and The Irishman and The Five Bloods uh, and The Harder They Fall, not that that's in the same category with them, but the point is like if Netflix and Apple TV, if they're going to continue to finance these projects that otherwise would not have found any space in the movie theater industry and, 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 and these people and these producers wouldn't have paid for it. 
more power to it. Like bring it on. I embrace it because without Netflix, we may not have gotten the power of the dog. We may not have gotten the Irishman. And I know we've talked about this before, but I'm just saying like, I've, I've just completely rounded a corner on it to where it's like, yeah, fuck it. The theater's over. Spider-Man made like $1.3 billion. I watched Nightmare Alley alone. I watched The Last Duel alone. Like th- <laughs> this is the world we live in now. Right. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, hey, it, it is what it is. Yeah, the dystopia is here, but, you know, we're, we're, we're still getting some gems. You know, they're, the, the, our corporate overlords are still throwing the dogs, you know, a couple of bones now and then. And, uh, hey, you know, what else are you going to do other than appreciate the good stuff, you know? But if you have not seen The Power of the Dog because you heard this or you heard that or because it's a Netflix movie, we did not spoil it on purpose. Go watch the movie. Like, it's on Netflix. If you don't have it, get somebody's ID and log in with it. Watch this movie. Let's, I mean, let's declare it, man. The Power of the Dog. I mean, clearly it was the highly, most highly ranked movie that both of us had on our list. I mean, you know, The Power of the Dog is the uh, best movie of the year, according to the Silver Screen video. Yeah. It's official. I agree with that. Yeah, a higher honor so, than than any Academy Award. And not to um, inflame anything, but fuck the Green Knight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck the Green Knight. I'm fucking sick of hearing about that fucking movie, dude. You can love what you love. I get it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna invalidate or belittle anyone's taste or whatever. But God, that movie just still pisses me off every time I see it pop up. It's like, what the fuck happened? Did A24 send out an email? to all these fucking critics and writers for, for movie websites and say, look, here's your fucking Starbucks gift card. Make sure it's on your list. Make sure it's number one. We'll give you two gift cards. Like whatever. (laughs) Fuck the green Knight, motherfucker. Fuck a 24 while we're at it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's pump the brakes there. A 24 has given us gold. I don't care. Um, a 24 gave us the tragedy of Macbeth. Yeah, I don't care. Anyway, guys, this has been a supersized episode, but it was fun. It was worth it. Uh, don't forget 2022, baby, the year of Avatar 2. Let's get it on. Hell yeah. Um, God. Do you have anything to add before we get out of here? Yeah, fuck you. Perfect. Guys, hope you enjoyed this uh, <laughs> this supersized episode of the Silver Screen video. Let us know your top tens. Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. Email us if you, if you do that. Whatever, just let us know. But anyway, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week here at the Silver Screen video. Yeah.